And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers, and we're back with our September episode of This Old Dungeon. And I want you to know that if you want to hold on there after the credits, uh, we do have a little interview segment with our old buddy John Hambone McGuire uh, talking about making uh, horror RPGs and talking especially about his product coming out, The Hotel Exorcist. So if you're interested in that, hang on there at the end. But uh, what we have right now, we've got uh, all of us in full force here tonight. Myself, Lou Alu. Howdy, this Thanks is Edwin here. Welcome. We over talk each other at spell guys <laughs> great timing so we're all here and uh we're going to get to the main event which is the uh, classic solo uh original basic dungeons and dragons adventure ghost of lion castle but before that we got to catch up so fellas what's been going on well, uh, are we talking about what we did in gaming this month sure yeah why not <laughs> that's what we're doing yeah did you do something something in gaming I did. I got uh, together with some of my old friends, and we played War of the Ring from SPI. Oh, wow. Uh, it was a game we used to play a lot back in the day, and we kind of were actually just going to get together for some lunch and uh, decided, hey, you know, let's let's sit down. Let's put some time aside and uh, and pull a game out. And we pulled a uh, um, copy of War of the Ring out. Actually, I grabbed mine. Uh, and, you know, uh, two hours turned into five, but uh, <laughs> it was great. And uh, so that was my that was my gaming in its entirety so first off like how many of those five hours were you guys like relearning the rules that you thought you already knew a lot, a lot. <laughs> let me tell you we we totally misremembered just about everything there was a lot of page flipping <laughs> going on but it came back quick i mean we played a lot back in the day we played with the there were two expansions for it uh sauron and gondor and we did not play with those we just played the base game and so what's uh, like a what's, is this a board game or rpg it's a board or a board game, game? yeah board it's game? A board okay game. Yeah, yeah. Cool. You're basically kind of it takes. It's just the Lord of the Rings, but in the books, but in a war game mode, and yeah. the, you know the battles go on, and you got to throw the ring in the mountain, and all kinds of great, great stuff like that. And it's a lot. It, 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 honestly, a great game, and I'm surprised how well it holds up. Um, What's going to be my God? Forty five years later, I mean, the game came out probably in the late '70s, I think, maybe early '80s. It, the latest I, I don't remember exactly but it's it's been around you know it was, i mean original spi game not not when tsr took them over and all that so uh from way back is it cooperative or do you have people playing no. the the forces uh, sort of and... you, you yeah i mean there's there's obviously mordor against everybody else okay. kind of thing so yeah um it, it's hard to say cooperative because nothing it, no war games <laughs> that came out back then were cooperative by any stretch of the imagination so <laughs> and not in today's term right today yeah, right well, today they talk about it's not that. it's not everybody against the game no yeah hmm. how about That's you edwin fun. i have been running the paul fricka adventure and some fell on stony ground for skype of cthulhu and so we're just finished session four so these are two hour sessions and i think we're got one or two more but this is I think one of the highest tension sort of action games that I have run maybe ever. It's uh, yeah, I think it's some it's a combination of this I've run this scenario before, but this 
you know, this is a pretty active and experienced group of players. And it's just been a hoot watching. I mean, the, the tension just keeps on keeps on going up. <laughs> and uh that's really been uh been fun. There's you know, there's a little bit of investigation, but there's each time they investigate, there's a little bit more horror gets added in. And just at the end of the last session, um, they did a big thing which they feel is gonna solve the problem, and it sort of kicks off the next uh portion of the adventure this is sort of you know <laughs> this is one of those time clock adventures you know stuff happens mm -hmm. and so unbeknownst to them i think there is now they've now switched from sort of investigative weird horror to really a, a night of the zombie survival horror game which will again be suspenseful and tense but really different from what we've been doing so that's kind of a fun uh it's gonna be fun to see how that turns and how they react to it um, so you had said you'd ran this before, and you say these are more experienced players. So is it the players that are bringing the attention to the table? Do you feel is that the main difference, or uh, you got some nuances? I think it's that I think it's that I can drive hard and they react quickly, and so that keeps the tension up. Whereas with the other group, the previous group, there was um, we had to sort of sit back a lot and either talk about how the rules work or remind ourselves that we're playing in the twenties or, you know, there's a, just more planning and more. And then mm -hmm. the other thing I think, which is, is on the flip side is that some of the players were sort of, you know, your classic heroic fantasy and, and they just got, they just kept losing characters. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that, you know, that slows things down also. So this one we're getting D&D fan. Yeah, so this is sort of, you know, so I think it's somehow that, yeah, that they are, they're pushing all the buttons of the scenario, but they're then running. And that's <laughs> so everything, you know, it keeps escalating, which is, so yeah, I think that's sort of what's been going down. And it may also be that I'm just a little more hyped up for this group for whatever reason. It's awesome. You have to keep us posted on how that, uh, how that changes as they get into this next phase. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I see either next week or the week after we'll finish uh could easily be next week we'll we'll, we'll see how long they survive <laughs> what about you so you know i've got the uh, the sunday game going um so we're we're always on a divergent i i say we're playing curse of straw but uh, that's the least amount of that game that we're playing it's always something wow. else tangent to it trying to get to where we're worthy of straw uh, so we oh, yeah. we went on a tangent which uh, the um the game master's goal is to try to hit all of the universal monsters within this this overarching campaign that we're doing and so um we're doing the mummy and uh he he mistakenly chose uh the jungle tomb of the mummy bride one of Levi Combs's games which is like my favorite of his uh so I kind of know some of the stuff and I've been you know I've been honest with right. him been trying to you know fake dumb uh what you know it's not hard for me by the way <laughs> but but fake being dumb when it's something i know and i let the other players choose but um so that's what we've been doing and we're we're to the point that we we need to get the keys to unlock uh the, the tomb where she's at so we're out at these little temple sites and um it's a real kind of cool encounter this last week uh we're, we're going to this site of the the python god and there's this uh tribe there that's kind of protective of that site 
and we're trying to like kind of negotiate with them. And the more we're kind of negotiating with them, the more we're realizing that these are just terrible people. Like they're cannibals <laughs> and they're like, you know, thieves and they like want this evil God to rise up. And and then they realize that we've kind of plundered the the tomb back there, you know, mm. where, you know, the, the, the mummy bride awaits and uh, desecrated one of their holy sites. So um, it's, it's been kind of eerie because, you know, as we, we disengaged with them and ran off into the, you know, the jungle here and, uh, we just, you're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to fall, you know, waiting for those sounds in the night of being surrounded by a bunch of, uh, flesh hungry, uh, natives. So that's kind of fun having a, uh, I mean, yeah. So you're, you're sort of getting the horror vibe mm-hmm. in your, in your D and D game here. Um, is this what I forget which, uh, D and D version. This is fifth edition. This is fifth edition. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's kind of cool that you're still getting the. A little mounting tension there. <laughs> We've been playing it for two years, and I, and I still don't know all the rules. I, you know, you know, granted, you know, I'm playing off the SRD PDF because I'm too cheap to go buy a rule book. <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's, I'm sure it's my my players, uh, my fellow players, just are, are hating it because I'm always like, so guys, you know what? How do I figure out this? How do I do that? <laughs> it's like, just write this down, Lou. Just write this down. Right. Do this. Do that. Roll your D twenty. See if you can get a high number. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. <laughs> And then uh, I've also, uh, I've got two games going on. This is like the best I've done since college. Uh, I've, uh, a friend of mine, actually a friend of the show, uh, Jonathan Captain Kurtz, uh, he offered to put a little test play group together for one of these uh, pamphlet adventures I'm kickstarting right now. Because uh, there's one that I just, I needed to get in and, and do some more live test plays with. And um, so the theme of it is, it's kind of almost a, uh, like a colonial pioneer sort of scenario where you know, set in the medieval era, but the deal is the kings demanded that this road be built, and he's hired all these foresters to go out and fell trees through this, like, basically wicked forest to finish out the road, and so you're kind of tasked with being with them, protecting them, doing some, doing some, you know, um, scouting and stuff like that, but um, there's such a big group playing, you know, compared to how I'd conceived the game going, that um, it's taking a lot longer than I thought, because, You've got this mm. scene going over here and you got this scene over there. You know, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me as a designer. I, I didn't conceive not just that when you add that extra player, that's more combat time, but the idea that once you have so many players, there's not enough um, meat on the bone doing one particular activity for all of them to want to be there. So then yeah. you, you, you're you starting to juggle scenes and then that doubles your time that you're running things. You know, that's actually, because that's been something that I've been for this Call of Cthulhu game, they were, so there's uh, six players and I think we have had up to five groups doing, (laughs) you know, individual things. And last night's session, so they're two hour sessions last night, they had divided into two groups of three and it was basically an hour with one group and an hour with the other group. And I didn't have any good ways of going back and forth between, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. And, but fortunately, the at least according to their feedback, it's exciting enough that the players who are you know listening as opposed to <laughs> in the in the fights or whatever are are still still there, still yeah, present, entertained by what the others are doing. While yeah, out, which yeah. I guess is good. I mean, in in principle, we're doing you know it is a it is a podcast, so it is ideally people can listen <laughs> to the whole thing without playing at all. So it's nice that we can listen to ourselves without playing. Uh, but I have been thinking a lot about 
that sort of, you know, 20 minute, you know, trying to think, okay, in this session, I know they're in four different groups and we have two hours. How can I get, you know, half an hour with each of them? And then, or, or are they going to meet up at some point? And mm-hmm. so I've been thinking, yeah, thinking about that kind of time cutting. One of the things that it does do nicely, like, I feel like one of the one goal of running some games is that at the end of the session, you want to put a cliffhanger. Uh-huh. If it's, if it's that kind of a game and what having multiple groups do does is that anytime you get to sort of a cliffhanger situation, you just switch to the other group. And so it actually is more flexible because you don't have to wait like until the end of the session, you can just say, Ooh, right now let's switch. And uh, that's kind of a fun, (laughs) a fun thing. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, sometimes you want to resolve a thing and then switch. And sometimes you want to spark a thing and then switch. But, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with both uh, both sides of that coin. It's a, uh, and then the other thing I noticed that's interesting is that uh, like fudging time because like one group yeah. will decide we want to do this thing and then like okay theoretically that's going to be your day there doing this right. thing that and took eight hours the other happens. group took twenty minutes <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so Bill what, what's your experience running big groups into multiple uh, scenarios in the same uh, adventure here. Um, splitting the party. Yeah, that works. And actually, I'll get back to that because I think uh, a question later on will will actually bring this up um, okay. that we have from one of our our listeners. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to say. Most of the stuff I've run in the last twenty years are at conventions, so it's a different it's a different breed. And if I go back to like our my big campaign games from year way years back. I mean, we did have some large, large groups and we would have eight to 10 of us playing sometimes. So um, I don't know, but, you know, I think, you know, we all grew up playing D&D together. So it, it just worked, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't so much need to try and budget time or manage things. It just kind of worked out, I guess, because people knew, knew what to do. I don't know how else to explain it. So, (laughs) um, you know, it was, but you know, it all, it happens. I mean, there are game nights where it's just, it seems like nothing gets done over hours and hours and <laughs> hours. And then there's other nights where they're just flying through. Right. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I like, I like playing in groups like that though, instead of being the, the GM. I love being the GM, don't get me wrong, but I like watching how in other situations, like I, I try playing like Bill Webb will run, uh, a game at conventions, a sort of wizardry game with literally 20 freaking players. Oh, okay. Geez. And, um, I, I, I enjoy sitting in and playing, um, and depending how much I've had to drink at that thing, you know, I get involved <laughs> or I don't. Um, but it's, you know, that's, that's crazy to watch the dynamics of that, especially to does he, does he work. have, are there multiple groups though within those, or is, all, is it just 20 characters? I all think going he tries to same. keep everyone together. I think he really works hard. I, I don't oh, remember geez. anyone ever getting split. So, you know, yeah. splitting, Stampede going through the splitting the party in big groups. I mean, that's just, that's a lot of work. I mean, you almost have to know you're going in doing that so you can prep for it. I think exactly. I think no, that's, that's, yeah. That's sort of, how do you plan on that? Or yeah. How you... Cause if on the fly, I just can't see that being, that's a tough nut there. Um, but Cause that's know, we, a, I mean, that's a, I feel like that's a almost always for investigative games, even convention yes, games that you like, almost always have the party getting split up at least for the first few hours of the, and it's, yeah. 
especially not like non-D&D games, right? I mean, That's what I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, Champions, we used to do it all the time. Uh, I think Top it's Secret, of- you know. Top Secret, hell, we weren't even, the players really aren't even a group half the time. They're just yeah. all their individual <laughs> guys right. running around. Yeah, so, half I don't the know, time they're against each other anyhow. <laughs> right, yeah. No, now, I it, think like D&D, like the formula is uh, cleric plus thief plus wizard plus warrior equals su- survivable party. party. Right. right. Whereas these other games, you know, you got such a wide variety of skills, you can kind of go and, and, and be the, you know, the, the solo Well, and there's or, a there's a lot of activity that is not about surviving. Right. Right. Oh. And I think that's, that's critical, yes. you know, going to the library to read, you know, to read up for the day or going shopping to buy some, some neat chemicals or whatever, you know, talk to the person, you know, talk to the police and like, none of those are about surviving. Paling a suspect about... in the city or whatever. Yeah. It's all <laughs> right. right. It's, it's, it's different. Um, you know, I, so the last few years I've been running the tournament, uh, at North Texas and at Longcon that I run um, to make life easier on me, I I started running a. It's eight players and they're all on their own hmm. in in the in the tournament. So it's basically a gold grab. But uh, we used to have giant train set up, and they're all running through this dungeon, and they each take a, every round is you know broken up, and each player takes his part of the round and mm-hmm. or acts for a full round, and we just go through it. it it actually, it, it sounds like it's a nightmare. I, I was worried about the first time I did it because I had never really done it that way before. It is so smooth and works. After 15 minutes of playing, everyone gets it. And we just, we're it, it's crazy how it cooks along. It I mean, really it's, it's basically like you're effectively in initiative or in combat for the whole time. And the, you're not on the same the place. Think, yeah. yeah, think of like the the the, the old uh, TSR game Dungeon, right? Mm-hmm. Except... You're playing with D&D rules, okay? Yeah, that sounds Just cool. like that, except it it's surprisingly smooth and fast. Now, we use BX mechanics to even simplify things down, you know, to make it really basic. But uh, So do you, I mean, one of the things Lou was talking about was the sort of time dilation. You know, if you have a person who searches a room and that takes 10 minutes and you have another person who swings a sword and that takes 10 seconds, do you does that person who's searching the room have to wait out like that no. many rounds so, or they just do their thing and it takes the 10 minutes so how i broke it down in the tournament is it's an action no matter what you do it's just an action okay. so, so you do the time dilation based move, on that yeah, right? it, exactly move and act and if your act is search the room then you are the fastest room searcher that <laughs> cool. ever walked because yep. the guy next door is fighting an orc okay and the rounds <laughs> just go through like that so you just pick a thing and it's you know it's more about doing that and trying to keep it fair. And it, it is, like I said, I am, I am so happily surprised by how smooth it goes and people who have never played that way before sit down in 10 minutes. They're just, they're all in it and they're playing and the game just pops, 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 pops. And nobody, you don't get any of these. It's I can't believe in three years of do three or four years of doing this. Now I haven't had any one of those guys that you know is going to take fifteen minutes to decide what he's going to bring. <laughs> yeah, they, right? They've it's had like, seven right. other people's turns. Yeah, still don't know what I, they want to do. <laughs> right. Well, right. you know, maybe it may be easier because I feel like normally in the situation, you know, in combat, your action actually depends on what the other people have done. Mm-hmm. Whereas it sounds like here, if they're all separate, you know, your your action is not going to be affected by what the people before you do. So you actually do have all that time to figure it out. You do because they're not they're they're typically although there is some conniving going on a little bit but um, I mean I side story I mean a couple years ago it, 
it, this was at Texas. Um, a guy walks in there, like second level characters going through the dungeon. And they're just gold grabbing, right? And he walks in, there's a gelatinous cube. Well, he gets the gelatinous cube to chase him and he runs by where all the other PCs are kind of like down this one way corridor. And then, the, of course, the gelatinous cube chased, went down this corridor and he got around it. So the cube went chasing the guys that it had pinned. <laughs> so it, it was fun. It's just fun. So there's, there's you can you can kind of interact, but they're not really interacting because they're also not allowed to in the world. You can't touch another PC. So, right. um, but uh, anyway, I mean, it's it's different. I think I know that we we were talking with splitting the party, but um, it can work. But you really got to, like I said, I, that's planned ahead and that's an organized play thing. So I think if you know it's coming, uh, I think you can do it. You know, with a group with two or three players in each little subsection but it's you know you are definitely in a little bit of a minefield i think for sure i did have a segue no no segue i did have another fun uh uh gaming story here uh this is what we're doing about have you guys you guys played the intro the 5e intro box the fandalin fandelver whatever it is yes i'm not but i've heard it's good so so it's Starts with the with this goblin ambush, right? As you're as you're heading into Fandolin. I think we're allowed to say that now as we're eight years or whatever it is. <laughs> we're not gonna spoil anything at this point. <laughs> so uh so we're in this other 5e game, and uh we have been sent to Fandolin to do something. And three of us, I think, so we have a GM who's not very experienced generally, certainly not in GMing, but also not you know, hasn't has played a couple years, but doesn't have mm-hmm. decades. Um, and three of us played in that intro box uh, adventure, not together. But so as we were being sent to Fandolin, we were just kind of joking. Ha ha ha. I bet we're going to run in, into this, uh, you know, into this goblin ambush. <laughs> and then we get almost to the town and she starts describing there's dead horses on the, in the middle of the road. And we're like, no, they didn't just, copy the damn you know they just reuse the same <laughs> encounter um and so you know we're still yapping about it and uh there was this just this fun not super creative but just a fun twist on that original encounter so it was like just a real nice callback uh if you hadn't you know if you hadn't played the first one it doesn't matter right you still have a good just encounter a good there yeah. but if you had played it and you sort of you know what's going on and you start figuring out you're just wrong and uh, i don't know so i'm curious now whether the whether there's any in-game connection between that initial ambush and this you know if somehow we learn eventually that the you know that the member the people who set this up knew about this other thing that had happened you know two years ago and that there's these stories going around amongst adventurers or whatever. I'm really curious about like that, or if it's just a, uh, a, a sort of an out of game callback thing. But it was just, it was just, I don't know. We had a, it was really fun to be, I don't know, to, to sort of get the inside joke, I guess, when it was just that big and that in your face. Um, so that was, that was, that's our other, that's my home group here uh, where I am playing. I think we play again this Sunday. So we'll, I get to find out a little more about that. But anyway. Uh, and, and that can take us into our letters because I have something that sort oh. of piggybacks on that. Sure. So, uh, letters from the Homeowners Association. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. 
My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. So we start here with John Williams, who writes, have any of you used fairy tales to inspire encounters, side quests, or other events going on in the games that you play? And I, I don't know. We were sort of discussing off, yeah. uh, off mic or pre mic that, uh, not a lot. <laughs> uh, I was excited. I recently got a copy of the Folklore Bestiary from the Merry Mushman, uh, which is a bunch of creatures from different parts of the world. And they're written up. Uh, this this particular version is the 5e version, but they give sort of the folk tale, and then they give uh, some encounter bits, you know, some story hooks, and then they give a stat block. Um, and I, I mean, I feel like we all, I mean, everything has some fairy tale, but it's such a different, I feel like the, the mentality around fairy tales, like you've got, you'd have to get your table in the right, mm-hmm. right mood. Uh, I, I take it back. I I played, uh, I played speaking of having to be in the right mood. I did play uh, Bluebeard's Bride at Necronomicon, which is a game where each player plays a facet of the personality of Bluebeard's bride. And so you are, you know, you've married him and gone to the castle and he said, uh, you can do anything you want. I got to go on a road trip. Just don't go in this room and then takes off. And it's really about that experience. It's about a lot of things. Um, but, you know, eventually of course you go in the room. Um <laughs> But uh, so that was that was a very clear fairy tale inspired game that was super intense and super fun. Um, but I yeah, occasionally I think I don't know. What about you guys? What are your fairy tales, John? I mean, I don't know if this is this is probably like letter number five where you've given us this really interesting question, and I think most of our answers are like nope. Never done it. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> got nothing to tell you. Uh, but but this one, I, I got a little. Okay, so like um, one of my favorite classic adventures is uh, it's in the uh, bestiary of uh, dragons and giants. It's called, uh, I think it's Prince Reinhardt and the Silver Staircase, where uh, the prince for this village has disappeared. And the players kind of happen to like notice him in disguise earlier in the story, buying this cauldron in, at the local bazaar. And come to find out the cauldron's magical and it produces this magical silver staircase up into the clouds. And it's basically Jack and the Giant Killer all over again kind cool. of thing. So that's one of my favorites. Real fun to play. Um, and then one of the things I really like to do is is play with the whole theme of like the the troll and the bridge kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of like what we were talking about a minute ago. Uh, I like to twist it just a little where like the troll's asking for gold and it's not it's usually not a troll normally i use like a a giant kin or something that's a little little less dangerous to small level you know parties um but uh, i make it so that they're the ones that built the bridge so by golly by by justice and law they should be able to get some some gold from Absolutely. the people passing it and i normally also have it to where like the middle part of the bridge like is an arched bridge kind of construction with some posts under it and the middle part of the bridge is like a a piece of stone it's like lashed onto their back so if, if you don't pay them they just pull that out and you can't cross oh, the cool. bridge anyhow 
That's awesome. Um, that's that's what I got. I don't have much more than that. Uh, I have run, um, I have run, and I have played the DCC Prince Charming Reanimator. Uh, oh, nice! Which is a uh, an awesome fairy tale reenvisioned. <laughs> um, I, I, so I guess yeah, I think I guess what I really should respond is I have played and run stuff, but I haven't created stuff of my own based on fairy tales. I don't think. Not that I'm remembering right I will now. Throw this out there because I think there's still like a day or two left on it. But um, another friend of the show and a, and a personal friend of mine, uh, Jonathan Sullivan, has a DCC adventure right now called A Fairly Odd Tale. We actually had a, a, a one shot episode, just last one shot episode I did, I think was this one. Um, and it is like a whole little fairy tale world wrapped up in a single adventure, you know, quick play adventure. Um, has a lot of little things in that. Um, but, um, I tell you what, Jonathan Williams, as we give you really pathetic answers to these questions, I'd love for you to write back and talk about what you've done. Because right? obviously idea. it sounds like you got some great ideas. I'd love for you to share them with us and we can share them with the audience. Um, so my experience is, uh, as far as doing them on my own, I'm sure there's been influence in some of the stuff I've done. I, I, I Off the top of my head, I, I probably couldn't tell you exactly what it was. Um, though um, I did run both TSR modules EX1 and EX2, which are Gary Gaiax's takes on fairy tales. So um through the looking glass, Allison, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I can't ever remember the name of the other one. So we now, actually covered this uh, in that one shot, and uh Jonathan okay. Sullivan had to give me the name. So it was uh Dungeon Land is the first one. Dungeon Land, yes. And, Dungeon uh, Land. Through the um, uh through the magic mirror, no. Uh through guy. the looking glass. No, through the looking glass, glass is the real one. That's the real name. Um, oh, that's the real name. Um, beyond the magic mirror something like that yeah, okay that right. might be it uh, they're terrible so i don't know what you guys talked about but oh i, I like them but anyhow go ahead the art's beautiful <laughs> it's got tim truman art throughout so mm -hmm. that, that i remember the art's fantastic but the adventures are just they're not my style i'll yeah. put it that way um um now i i, I know i we're getting into it later too and i don't want to sound like a, a paysetter salesman tonight but <laughs> so ben is actually working on an entire series a line of um fairy tale solo module adventures so right now he's in them he's i think just wrapping up jack and the beanstalk basically um as a solo adventure and i think it's a he had, it's all his idea uh we're doing a lot of solo stuff right now um and uh, I don't. I think it's actually pretty clever to do solo adventures with fairy tales because a lot of us do have that uh, recognition, right? Right. And we sort of know the the big picture. Most already. of our most fairy tales do feature a single character. So um, anyway, so he's he's doing that, and uh, he's super inspired by it. So that's awesome. Um, I know he's got Rapunzel coming up. He's also doing. He's got a few of them already lined up. He's doing, and I I can't tell you when the first one's going to come out. And I think he was hoping to get it out for Game Hole. I, I don't know if that's an it's yeah, coming up so man. fast yeah it's come up really yeah, quick and going I'm back to what i'm doing in gaming you guys are going to hear from me like two months in a row because i'm going to game hole and in november i'm going to long con so i'll be gaming for at least two months and <laughs> nice envy going on here um but that's uh, probably it for me as far I, like i said i'm sure there's been influences on, on things i've done and i'm just completely drawing a blank right now what what they may be so one thing I was thinking of when my uh, daughters were younger, we had like a, a an edition of like the original Grimm fairy tales. And um, I really recommend if you want to do something in gaming, maybe pick up one of those because one, oh, yeah. everything you think you know about the fairy tales is wrong. No. Like they're dark. Yeah. And they're, <laughs> they're gruesome. Absolutely not. 
and then there's a bunch of them in there that like I don't remember ever hearing as a kid, and and I'm trying to remember yeah. some exa- examples. There was um, and my my daughters are almost all adults now, um, <laughs> but I remember one was like this woodcutter that's like coming home, and there's this witch that's like stuck in a hole. And he offers to get her out in exchange for this magic ring. And then there's it. Anyhow, just, just there's lots to mine there that uh, that I never knew existed. So I, yeah. I Grim is a very appropriate name for Grimm's. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, I remember a group it. of us uh, reading them in college. We sort of, you know, every night we'd read a few of them out loud. That was, um, I, oh, ran... I, you know what? And, and oh, good. Uh, no, most of our listeners probably already know this because I'm I'm always woefully behind and bad at stuff. Mm. There is actually a series called Grim G R I M M. It's uh, I think Grim-tooth? it's on... no, not Grimtooth. <laughs> it's just called Grim, and it's on. Um, I don't. It's just it might be on network cable right now, or or we have YouTube TV. But anyway, it's on one of the channels. They're running it, but I think it's on Netflix or Amazon. It came out like 10 years ago it went like six or seven seasons it's actually very good and it's hmm. it's basically about this guy is a grim he's he's one of the descendants of the grims and he can actually he's like only grims can actually see the fairy the tale fairy monsters <laughs> as they are in the real world because they're everywhere and uh it's actually he's a detective so it's like it's actually very good i i'm only nice. maybe five or six episodes in the first season but uh if you like fairy tale stuff, and it's all tied to fairy tales, right? So he's encountering all the fairy tale creatures, and um, the first episode's got like a twist on Little Red Riding Hood. Um, uh, it's it's actually really cool concept, and it's done very well. So if you're into that kind of stuff, it's a I'll highly recommend that show. Check that I, I'm I'm now a triple liar because when you said only only Grimms can see the things, I remembered. Of course, I've been running some Vason uh, over the past year, which is swedish fairy tale mm-hmm. encounters uh horror horror fairy tale stuff and so i guess so really the answer yeah. is john yes we just have bad memories we do and like i said <laughs> we're gonna get done with this show so next episode i'm sure i'll remember exactly. that, I wrote that i have some direct connection to a fairy tale and i can't believe i'm not remembering right now so yeah <laughs> oh my gosh um, all right the lone the lone dm has written us hey there this old dungeon crew it's been a minute since i wrote in big move new house yada yada now we know whose generation he's in or she's in first (laughs) thanks for the excellent prize i enjoy the show just for the peek back into the games of yesteryear but it's quite cool to listen into the last segment and hear who wins i do want to say that in the last episode with bad mike and eric I think there are numbers to support that PAX Unplugged is a bigger gaming convention than Origins. Numbers vary depending on where you look, but I'm seeing 30,000 plus for the 2022 attendance on many sites, whereas Origins is reporting around 16,000 for 2023 on their own site. That's beside my agenda, though. What I did want to do is get you guys talking about those immortal levels. What are the highest level games you've run or been part of? What did you find fun about them and what way were they different from the basic and expert level of games you have played in? Keep the episodes coming. We'll try. We'll definitely try. So I, I want to go back and say again, I apologize for dipping out early on that episode. I was so pumped for that doing B1 with Mike and Eric. And I just oh, yeah. said that I got a conflict at literally yep. the day of the, of the thing. And 
I wish I could have stayed longer because I did listen back, by the way. I listened to the whole show. That was great. <laughs> but I was surprised, talk about the origins thing, that their attendance was only 16,000. I mean, that just seems really low to me. I, mm-hmm. I, I've I been to an origins few years. Yeah, probably me and Ben went five, so, four, five, six years ago. It seemed like they had more than that then. Yeah. I, I think. I think part of this is the the numbers here are from what was it 2022 so we're just a couple years out of covid then um, yeah and that it has to be year, so I, I think we're, we'll, we'll probably see like a little valley there so I, I don't know I, I you absolutely especially uh Columbus was covid crazy so I I, I can't imagine I would imagine their numbers are probably way down cuz I like I said me and Ben went it was before covid probably a couple years before covid and it was it seemed much larger than see, I've been to big conventions. It seemed much larger than 10,000 conventions. I mean, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, it's held at a massive convention center in Columbus. So, um, and they saw all the whole area hotels are sold out. I mean, it's, hmm. I thought origins was more these than numbers 20, are tough too, because we don't, you know, it, a lot of sites aren't telling you whether we're looking at, you know, um, Badge uh, sales or individual, yeah, individual all together, days, how many people a yeah, day yeah. added up is in right. know, individuals, unique uh, attendees. I, yeah, it's yeah, I, I, I just it, it's look now if, if Pax and Plus got 30,000 or 30,000 plus, I, I would think that might be more than Origins. I mean, I, yeah. I would think Origins is in that 20,000 range somewhere, it seems logical to me. Yeah, that's what but I was let me just add that, the question is that this is beside his agenda. What he really wants to know about is I, running I high know, level games. Because <laughs> he's, he's just pointing out that once again I screwed somebody over on the geek credit questions. <laughs> that's all he's doing. Uh, or, that's or all right. he, it, that was the other funny thing because Lone DM won one of the uh, prizes. Uh, I can't remember what episode it was. And I was like, all right, we're finally going to find out who the Lone DM is. And when they sent me the address, it just was Lone DM. And then their address. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was the same for when I sent out the one. Um, yeah, I think for last time. Oh, the Banjo, Banjo Destructo. Destructo. Yeah. 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 It's like, I that's hope awesome. the post office likes Banjo Destructo as an addressee because <laughs> that's where it's going. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'll answer it, it briefly. I, I And you're probably not going to love my answer. I can't stand any high level adventure stuff. So it's never been a thing for me. Uh, I don't enjoy it. My group never really liked it. Uh, especially when you're talking about the mortal level stuff in the Beckme set. Uh, I don't care for it. Beckme is my least favorite of all the basic sets that are oh, out. Right. Yeah, I just I just never care for it. I love Rule Cyclopedia. I think it's fantastic. I know it's totally based on Beckme, but uh, Beckme is okay until you get to the, the Kami part. So um, <laughs> I, I'm not, you know, it's not a, a really a thing for me that the highest, I mean, our group, Back in the day, the highest level we ever got was, I think, the part we had characters in the ninth to eleventh level range. All right, and we had, this was after we did the whole fire giant thing. We went to descent to the depths, Kuatoa, Vault uh-huh. of the Drow. We had about ten or eleven players at the time, and well, the way we did it is we all uh, the few DMs in the group we grabbed the module and ran it at the end. So out of the the giant series and the D series, D one through three. I got Vault of the Drow was mine to run, so I ran the panel one, um, which was unfortunate because everybody died except one <laughs> character got out. So um, was that they the split the party? The GM. So, remember when I said party. I want to get back to the split the party thing? They split yeah. the party in Vault of the Drow. 
because they all started infighting. I don't know. It just got crazy. And the next thing you know, it was just death everywhere. <laughs> um, but the game to me gets it's a little unwieldy when you get into the higher level stuff. The characters get there seems to be more disproportionate abilities. High level magic users are, are are just slaughterhouses in AD and D, you know. Versus yeah, high level fighters a, a tough guy, but a couple of spells and he's done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or well, a bad saving throw and he's fried. Uh, it's it's not as balanced, I think, and that's a tough thing. But I I also know that when you get to the um, masters and immortal level stuff, which is like twentieth and thirtieth level stuff, it's it's really a different game. You're really you're definitely not playing traditional Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, you're not going through really dungeons, play. skilling orcs. No, anymore, you're, yeah. you're, it's like a resource management role playing game more than I think it is D and D. So it's not my cup of tea. That doesn't mean it's not everybody else's. I, they, they, you know, I th- I'm sure people enjoy it. Uh, Adventure Conqueror King book right has a uh, a second hardcover book I think which covers a lot of that higher level stuff which people seem to really like. Um, it's just never been been my cup of tea just because of it's to me, it just gets a little bit too far away from the what core D and D plays or how it mm-hmm. plays. Ed, when you get any experiences in that? I think the answer is no, based on so I've definitely never played high level Beck me. Um, I have I feel like in our my childhood A D and D game you know we got up into the teens first edition ad and d um i have played in a pretty high level mid-teens second edition uh D game for a while it was pretty excellent and i ran a 20th level 5e one shot um which was crazy um and i have gotten up into the teens both as a gm and as a player in fifth edition um you know starting from 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 one or three but i don't know if any of that counts as being the sort of you know because in in those cases there's no sea change there's no real Mm -hmm. shift in you know the characters are more powerful they have more choices etc etc but it's still the same game whereas i understand i remember that you know in principle in our ad and d game we were all name level and we quote should have been you know managing castles and thieves guilds and all that kind of stuff but we weren't we were still just you know going out and killing dragons and stuff um so i don't feel like i have anything to say about immortal levels if that's what the lone DM is getting at. What about you? So back in the day, um, when I used to be able to play, you know, every week consistently, we, we did mostly AD and D and I think I got my highest level character that I've ever had was a 14th level thief. Um, I had a ninth level wizard at one point, And then I had a character out of Oriental adventures. I can't even remember what the class was, but he's the weapons master. And I think he got up to like ninth or 10th level, but, um, we did start to get that that sea change you're talking about. We started like I remember my wizard went into a, a situation where he was building a tower. He was researching spells, trying to make his own spells. Um, the thief had gotten involved in this whole plot to you know that there was you know this kingdom that they were trying to overthrow and you know big big national uh, you know wars and all that kind of stuff was going on. Uh, 
but that you know that fizzled out quick and i don't know if it was just because it hit at the wrong time in all our lives when we were starting to get involved in other things and couldn't really keep up the the pace of gaming or if it just kind of wasn't the flavor that we had been enjoying and so we kind of lost interest um but i'm with bill where like nowadays if if you say hey you want to come over and play you know high level character game yeah, there's about everything in the world i would choose over that and i don't know why i just i've never <laughs> Yeah. Never been interested in this idea of, you know, playing in this epic God level. I just can't imagine what you would do with that. That would be interesting, you know, especially campaigning kind of stuff. I mean, look, I mean, I, I remember playing a, a super early experience with D&D as we played uh, in high school. We had a teacher that, that had a game club. Right, they call it a military history club. We play D and D and war games. <laughs> um, and he ran two Mahors and gave us all pregens. And I remember those characters were all like ninth, tenth, eleventh mm-hmm. level. They were high level characters, and um, I mean, we got slaughtered. But it was, um, you know, that was. I mean, other than that, in our own group, like I said, getting up to like that. I mean, there might have been a character too that was like twelfth level, but it took us like four years to freaking get there, and everyone died. Yeah, but um. <laughs> It, uh, I think even no one really, I remember at the time, I mean, it was, it was like, oh shit, my, you know, we, we, it was epic though. You know, it was epic deaths and it just, <laughs> we died all the time playing D&D. So it wasn't that big a deal, but we were also to the point where we're like this, we really kind of want to start over because at, even at 11th level, we were feeling the, um, drag of the game gets AD&D anyway, gets a little wonky. So, um. You know, I don't know, but it doesn't mean, you know, like I said, if it's your cup of tea, it's your cup of tea. But I I don't know a whole lot of people who ever have played um, the Masters Companion or Companion Masters or Immortal stuff. Even the modules that DSR put out, they put out venture models. I don't know. Whenever you see them, like if you find one on eBay, they're always like immaculate shape. Because no one ever plays on so, um, see the, say, like That's one thing. Uh, I, I read a lot of adventures. I, I, I read yeah. far more than I play in... Um, you know, I've got a few of the companion ones that I really reading through them. I'm like, oh, that's a really cool adventure, like uh, Endless yeah. Stairs. Um, Endless Stairs, really good. Saber River uh, and is uh, it Earthshaker? Earthshaker's, Earthshaker's not goofy but fun. Yeah, the one with yeah. the big gnome the or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's one other that's really good. Um, oh, uh, it's the time travel one. Uh, where chaos reigns. Uh, that's oh, yeah. pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's some solid adventure ideas there for sure. Um, but like I said, it just never was my group's cup of tea. And I, you, you never see it at like conventions. You never see people, yeah, I'm running an immortal level event. I mean, it just never. I mean, it's, it's hard to pick up a 17th level character and figure it out in 10 minutes. Yeah, it's like, like the, you the, put the, the, the cockpit of a jet or something. Exactly. Did you see the, uh, and I'm wondering actually if this is related, but roll 20, I think, just sent out a survey results on high level play and I don't have it in front of me and I deleted the email, but it was something like, you know, 80% of play is below sixth level or whatever. And, you know, a 10th of a percent gets up into the, into the high teens. Um, so that, and you know, some of it is the, one, one of the, the article or the email was speculating that the, one of the reasons is that in 5e there is no sea change and so 
to get to 20th level, you basically have to be willing to do the same thing, except more complicated or, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah, right, over and over and over again. Whereas in, you know, that AD&D had that shift basically from an individual role-playing game to a war game where you're looking at territory, territory uh, control yeah. and so forth. Yep. And so it was easier to get, to keep interested, right? That you were sort of interested in your character for a while, and then you're interested in this other thing for a while. And between those two, you can end up doing the whole spectrum. Whereas well, people AD&D coming into... Yeah. And so AD&D basically had that built in. This is how your character is going to retire and go right. do something else. Now roll up a new character. So Well, I think but I think part of it also is, or at least in this, the article speculation, was that that generation of uh, gamers were war gamers, and so they sort of had their D&D game morph into a war game, whereas the people coming into 5e yeah. are not war gamers. And so there is no like there's no end game. No. There's no war right. game after. It's not like I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be a wizard, an adventurer until I'm 12th level. And then I'm going to take over a country. Like, <laughs> nope, I'm yeah. just going to keep adventuring. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think that's part of what people find fun in the older school stuff is this switch to political play and yeah. um, you know if, if that's your jam that that's that's uh sure it's also an attainment thing like you're saying right it's like your character reaches that name level uh kind of i'm not going to go into dungeons anymore i'm going to do other things i mean i'm going to hire that, people to go in my dungeons <laughs> you're going to build dungeons you're going to build them uh which well hey are we got to go could back be a very good transition to what we're about to get into so yes, but uh, but, but but we got to go back to the last episode because uh, you were playing the um oh geez Al the the um the wizards uh game and we were talking about that exact thing you were wondering if it was going to go into a scenario where you're hiring people to do the dungeon uh well, yeah I got it and Bill you said that you heard good things about it I can't remember what it's called it's it's like incorporated uh, oh the thing I'm the thing I'm translating yeah. acquisitions incorporated no well, oh so, you're so, playing it. So I'm playing in Acquisitions Incorporated. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Edwin's doing playing. a translation of Dungeon Inc. And oh, I'm wondering okay. if you're combining the two, but maybe not. Perhaps. I don't know. I think it was Acquisitions. You were talking about playing it and how it was like the most linear dungeon ever. Yes. That's that the one where we maybe... ended up going to Fandolin. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and seeing the, so the flipped that's over. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you'll have to let us know because you were predicting that maybe down the road it's more about you guys. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. So right. So that one, right. So things. down the road you start a company, right? You you become a. I mean, yeah. Th- this is a your own franchise. You're supposed to franchise exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then we, yeah, so we may end up having employees. That's right. Yeah, I was talking about that. Yep. Okay. Because the other thing, the other piece, I think that I talked about two episodes ago, <laughs> is this game that I'm translating for Mary Mishman from uh, French to English, which is in English called Dungeon Inc. And you are uh, you are hosts, you are uh, greeters in a dungeon, <laughs> and your job is to welcome the adventurers, um, welcome them to death, and take their stuff. Um, and so it's sort of this, you know, it's basically a flip D&D game with the sort of um, satire, you know, corporate satire similar to, but nowhere near as extreme as paranoia. So there's this whole, you know, hierarchy of a company that runs this dungeon and lives in this dungeon. And they create these new dungeon areas and they send out publicity flyers to bring in adventurers. <laughs> the adventurers come in and then you go and and kill them um and then of course there's all the other shenanigans as part being part of a corporate environment in a dungeon that you can imagine 
um, as part of the the gameplay. But so that's another, you know, I could imagine in that game, you know, I think that this game as envisioned, you're always in that role. You're always a host. Like even as you become a, a senior host, you're still always a host. But I can imagine again flipping that to eventually becoming, you know, the head of the surveying department or the the head of this other, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> and sort of rising the corporate ranks. Tell you whether or not you can afford to do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what a carrying crawler costs? <laughs> exactly. Replacing that carrying crawler, <laughs> you you owe us. <laughs> you weren't supposed to kill it. You're supposed to get it to kill the kill the adventurers. <sighs> <laughs> All right, but we do have a, a solo play game we're talking about tonight, The Ghost Ooh. of Lion Castle. This old dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Uh, so, uh, who wants to, Bill, you, you've traditionally been the one that kind of introduces the game, talks about sure. uh, what it is. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, kind of backstory with, with this. So if you're, if you're not familiar with Soul Adventures, let, let's start with that first, because, it, um, there's a, a great number of people who play DD who have never played a solo adventure. So a solo adventure is basically, it's you in a book. There's no DM. It's you, a book and a set of dice and a character. Yeah. Choose your and, own adventure plus dice. Choose your own adventure plus die. For some of, um, some of I, and, I was interested to find that some of these uh, early D and D ones didn't didn't involve die rolling as far as like combat and stuff like that. But, but that's yeah, well, I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting there. Yeah. So, <laughs> DSR produced six uh, soul adventures, which should probably be shocking to people that they produced that many books. They did, and they produced essentially almost six different ways of playing <laughs> soul adventures. Uh, there's a couple that do share things in common, but. Uh, there's, I think, two that use. Uh, they they could they could not come up with a system that they seem to like. Uh, to the mechanics of playing a soul dungeon are obviously different than playing with a group, right? I will add that they also team. never came up with a system that I liked. Yeah, well, they, they, <laughs> they, they probably did not. So um, this the one we're going to Ghost of Lion Castle is one of the early ones, but they also. This one they tried. You can kind of map, but it it just it does not work. Um, then they they tried. Yeah, and it uh, it kind of has more of the traditional which way choose your own adventure thing, where you yeah, it, you make right. choices. We'll, we'll, and it takes you to pages. Or we'll entries. definitely get get to that in here. Uh, then they used uh, they had, and I'm not, the sequence. I'm I, I may not be exactly right on. They had uh, uh, invisible ink pens that came with modules. Oh yeah. As you read the entries, you you highlight that entry with your invisible ink pen and it revealed the text. Yep. Okay. Fairly cool, but playability, you kind of play it once and now it's right. like changes everything around. Plus if you didn't do it right away, those invisible ink pens dried up, you dried <laughs> up really fast. So um, yep. don't think you're going to go out and buy one in a shrink wrap today and be able to use it. Cause it's not going to work. <laughs> um, and then they came up with these red lens viewer ones where they had these red lenses. Uh, yeah. Think of 3d glasses, right? Except, it, you had to use the red lens to read the text um, and reveal the map. And by the way, they didn't work particularly well, and it's really hard to read, and the maps are really hard to yeah, read. If they you're were for me, it was it was a nightmare. Like, it was it, it was awful. The, the it, red it's, lens it's, did not help yeah. at all. It's still just a um, scramble, the squigglies. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not a big uh, 
guy who likes to point people to the internet saying, well, you can find a copy that all the stuff's real. It, it exists. It's, mm-hmm. it's out there. Um, so TSR really fluctuated around. They really wanted to, you could tell they really wanted to do these. They just really couldn't come up with a really good system of how they wanted to do it, which they to me, they were on the right track with this, these early ones, but they're, they just not, didn't just quite get there. And then they, de- like I said, they departed radically with the invisible ink pens and the red lens. You were the red lens. You were the worst by far worst. I think there's two of them that do that. And they're yeah. a God awful. Um, you know, so, interestingly enough, and I, I think, you know, most of our listeners probably know this, but uh, this is kind of the hot new thing right now in gaming. There's a lot of companies pushing hard to, and, and I know you could talk about pace setter, um, but uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, throwaway games just put one out and there, there's, you know, yep. uh, DCC, there's several different people for DCC MCC trying to come out with solo adventures. Well, there's or, been a couple of years of journaling game of non D and D solo games. Yeah. So I, I'll take all the credit for it because we started doing it back in 2011. <laughs> we started putting solo books out. Um, so solo books were really big back in the late 70s and early 80s, especially with uh, uh, Flying Buffaloes, Tunnels and Trolls, almost everything, about, about 30 of them that are solo adventures. Yeah, yeah. So, but, so they were really, really big back in the day. And then solo adventures, um, like I said, TSR tried their hand in it for about probably about a five-year span. Uh, obviously varying amounts of success couldn't decide what they wanted to do they were all over the place uh, and finally they gave up I think there's a couple reasons why because they essentially disappeared from the market for 30 years nobody's done a soul I mean they just didn't exist um, and I think the main reasons were one were computers right so you the advent of uh, computer games where you well can- you know it's funny you say that because I feel like the one solo adventures that I have been somewhat attracted to were because of computer chaosium came up with their yeah against the blank series and, and they yep. let out their app and so then all of a sudden there was no more page flipping you could just like <laughs> you could just do what you wanted Looking to do it's like i choose the thing and do them and then it, you click the button and it rolls the dice you're like oh this finally this feels like something where the pace the pacing is so, good yeah i i'm just saying i think this is the reason why you saw them, why they vanished in the early right. mid 80s i'm saying i'm saying it's also yeah. something that can help bring them back but now it's yeah. now it's a, it's a tool for sure yeah. Yeah. so because we we do a lot of pdf documents with ours that people can print out and use yeah we still like the whole idea of you're sitting down with a, a with no electronics around I, I i love that idea uh but we give you some more tools that you didn't you didn't have back in the day to do that um but so they they kind of fell away you know um plus they're they're complex they are very difficult to write uh they're very very difficult to edit you can just you guys can see by this thing just you can imagine the yeah. amount of tracking you had to do to make sure that your stuff all worked in this thing there's several hundred over 200 encounters i think or entries Entries, and you got to make sure they link and all that so they're they are very complex um versus writing a standard adventure module there's just a lot more going on here um and a lot more to think about which we can get to in this so i think those are the two reasons they kind of vanished and then um like i said nobody really did them for the longest time i always enjoyed them especially enjoyed the tunnels patrols one so when we did pace we started doing solo modules and now uh I'll, I'll put my my uh sales pitch in now we have a we have a fairly large kickstarter going on right now and it's a four adventure solo module book for classic D, which is any of your basic uh, and ad and d 
Swords and Wizardry will work for all of those, and then we have a 5e version. So it should it. be still going when this <laughs> this actually hits the goes live online after recording. It's a, as of our time of recording right now, I think it's got seven or eight days left. So yeah, you have to throw me the link, uh, or I guess I can find it if I just yeah. get started. But yeah, we'll, we'll get that in the show notes too. So it's but, a uh, it's a it's it's a big book. It's, you know, two hundred fifty pages. It's going to have so much solo shit in there. It's a, it's it's big. So, so I know this, that's uh, kind of what started me thinking about us doing this or throwing out the yeah. the propositions because you had said you had just been reading through some of those old D and D. Yeah, I just wanted to go back and, about and them. Yeah, yeah, see if there are any ideas that you know that I'm always want to look at stuff like that. You know, I'm uh, there's ideas are everywhere, and there's there's always some good. There's a couple actually good ones in here um, that I like, but um, there's a lot to learn from from reading these books because it, it is a tactical <laughs> thing to put one of these books together. Yeah. Um, but so that's kind of your your background history of, of Ghostline. It was written by Merle Rasmussen. Uh, it's one of the first things he ever wrote for D and D wise. Yeah, for, top for TSR. He wrote several other things, uh, which was going to be a geek uh, credit question, by the way. For all <laughs> I actually had a had one there. Um, so you know, I don't know how much you want me to keep rambling I'll, on. I'll throw I mean, out one thing that the art about, on this is a couple about. interesting things. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher the last name, but. Uh, Bob Maros or Maru Maros, I don't know. The illustrator. Uh, what's that? The illustrator. Yeah, the illustrator. Yes. Yeah. Um. So you know, this is one of the only things he did as far as published modules go. He had a lot of art uh, that appeared occasionally in Dragon Magazine. Did this whole uh, Return to the Nine Hills thing that he illustrated for uh, um, that guy. You know, Elmore. Uh, not Elmore. Uh, El Minister, uh, why can I cut? Uh, oh, uh, Forgotten Realms. That guy, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Oh, well, I'm <laughs> a blank. I can't believe, but anyhow. Um, so anyhow, uh, the, the, to me, like the cover is dog ugly, in, in my opinion. It, it, and it's just not my style, maybe. I don't know. It looks almost like Roslov, but it's Ed not. Ed Greenwood. Ed Greenwood's the guy we're yeah. So, um, so yes. Bob Maros, uh, the artist, did all the illustrations for this. Uh, the, the cover, in my opinion, is just, it, it's so, it's, awful. it's uh, not good. The, well, I, I the title, interestingly enough, is illustrated. And I don't know if there's yes. any other D&D adventure where the title is illustrated. It has this kind of ghostly kind of look to to part of the, the title there. Um, I would have to think really long and hard if they did this. Another, they did this. I, I went through else. the collection that I had at hand, and I couldn't find anything else. Everything else is in the same type font. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then the um, the interior illustrations, in my opinion, are really good. I really yeah. enjoyed the illustrations. Very, inside, it, it's it's iconic, classic the time yeah. period, right? It definitely so, feels like 1984. I mean, so it, I, I just I don't know if he was like told, "Hey, try to make it look like Roslov stuff," because that's to me what it looks like. It's aping on the cover, but well, it this is like a this... totally different hand than the the interior illustrations, though they're all credited to him. Yeah, it, it, he did definitely did them all. Um, so I mean, we're still in that time period. We're we're pre, um, the four horsemen, you know, Easley yeah. and Parkinson. We're pre all those guys still. This is. Um, it was it was released in 1984, which means this was produced in 83. Um, so you still have that very old school feel to it. Although you know, I, I did a really nice job with with some of it. So, um, so I just want to. I was like talking about the art a little bit. So, oh yeah, you know, just interesting little art bits there. Yeah. Um, 
so the, the the plot of the adventure is solo adventure. You're you're at this bar, and you hear these wild rumors about this this lion castle. This this castle literally shaped like a lion out in the Serengeti. And the bartender and, and everybody at the bar kind of heckles you a bit about you you know if you if you were a true man you'd go out and you'd you'd go to Lion Castle and see if you could survive there. If you were a true magic user, you'd yeah, go magic. out there and f with the castle because it, the the one of these or an elf. Come on, things, you well, can be an elf. Users too, right? So yeah, this this is specifically this is specifically written written for uh, um. Uh, Molve Cook D and D, so the BX right. This came out right before Beckney, but it's definitely a Molve Cook book. Um, and so, an elf or a human magic user are the only two arcane spellcasters. So you can use only use those two. That's what they say. You can only use those two character classes in this adventure, which is very yeah. odd because most soul adventures you can roll whatever the hell you want. Um, but we we can talk about that further yeah. too. So you it, go it, it just it, it explains that away by saying, "Oh, there's an enchantment on the castle, and nobody else." Can yeah, I, I know, I know. <laughs> and it's a wizard's it's a wizard's castle, and you're trying yeah. to be his, you know, be the legacy. It, of and it sort world. of makes sense because later on you find out that supposedly the guy is looking for an heir. Uh, yeah, I guess no, that's kind of front loaded, isn't it? That, that that's the rumor that he was looking for yeah, someone. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you 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 travel across land. And it's weird because it starts out where you're 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 basically uh, um, doing that resource management. You got it tells you, okay, mark off this many food rations because this is how long it took you to get there. Like you're supposed to track all this stuff mm-hmm. that nobody ever does. But they try and get into that a little bit, and then it kind of kind of falls apart later on. But well, I feel um, like I mean because because actually, they, have they totally whole... dismiss it. The whole point of them doing it is actually totally dismissed if you play through and actually win the module. Right? I mean. Well, but they have they have uh, that and, whole mechanic about dropping food to avoid combat. Yes, and so yeah. I think the number of rations that you have is you know it's that, somewhat yeah. relevant. Sure. Yeah, there's a whole what is it like five page section on on special rules for solo play at so, the beginning of yeah. this. Yes, and that is that is something which is sort of unique that they took the time to do all that because a lot of their other solo ventures they don't necessarily do that. Um, and again, we we do that with Paysetter. We have what we call our solo system. But now we do all of it in about two, two and a half pages where this is how these are the internal mechanics of D&D that you're going to work with. Um, like resting, this is how you rest. This is how you carry stuff. This is how you identify magic items. And this is how you deal with uh, henchmen or hirelings or NPCs. You know, we have a, a couple pages on that because it is it is different. You are you're not playing in group play. You have to have a set of rules. And they do do that in here. Now, I think they get carried away with it. I yeah. mean, I... It, it just goes too far. Like they, they're way too restrictive. Like a, po- a potion of gaseous form doesn't work in this dungeon. I'm like, well, they it, give it you was one just a who cares if it did. <laughs> second of all, second of all, it's highly unlikely your first level magic is you're going to have a fucking potion of gaseous form. So it, it's bizarre. Yeah, but, but the, the, the our irony is that the starting characters they give you to, to use for the module, like there's, I think there's two of them that do. <laughs> Yeah, it, of course. It, they like do. you said, you half the use... room say, yeah. "Oh, yeah. well." They do. They work in the courtyard. They work in. They, do. they, work, they work in the courtyard. Yeah. 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 yeah, so they do work in the courtyard. They don't work in the actual the the castle. They don't work. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's I'm, I'm sure that's nitpicky stuff, but they just have a lot of weird stuff in here. Um, it, I mean, mostly it was a lot of mechanics. Yeah, there's a lot of mechanics because what the trap they fell into with this is they got way too caught up into the weeds. Um, with this, they they got way too. Well, we we know how players are always trying to, 
you know, metagame system and yeah, all that. So they really put too much in here to avoid that. And it's honestly, it's just completely unnecessary. If a player's going to cheat, he's going to cheat. You're not going to. Well, and frankly, in a solo game, nobody actually, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't ruin anybody's. No, it doesn't. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, and I know that's one of, like I said, in the pace service, also what we do is we have these called adventure points where we we have fun with that a little bit. We're like, a first level character has one adventure point. You can use that point at any time in the adventure to cheat. cheat. You can get a re-roll, <laughs> awesome. you can do whatever. Ahead, mulligan, right? it's, it's, it's free mulligan. So we, we try to they'll limit it, right? So if you're a first level character, you got one. So you get your one your one screw up, you get to fix it one time. If you're When you hit second level, you get two more. When you get third level, you get three. So we keep running it through our, our series like that because we have actually series of adventures. So it's, you know, we bake that into our system to kind of say, hey, just, just, you know, fight through it a little bit. See if you can, see if you can play. And if you need a mulligan, at least we're, at least track it. Also, whether people do or not, I don't really care as long as you're having fun. But, you know, we we try to make a mechanic for it Um, versus going overboard and trying to set up all these rules and regulations and things. This works here, but it doesn't work there. Um, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of that is also just because there is no, you know, without a GM to sort of help describe yeah. things, you, it's mm-hmm. sort of important to, to, to make it simple. And some, in some ways I found it was cause I, so I, I, I hadn't read it. I haven't read it, uh, but I played, you know, I just started playing as, as one yeah. is supposed to, and I made it through about 40 entries before I died. And then wow. I kept, kept on playing you know i sort of made decisions and read you know until i got bored which didn't didn't take long um (laughs) yeah Yeah. um so i i ran this one as a one-on-one with my son back i don't know see that seems awesome eight and it was fun but i did a lot of like you know mitigating things and changing things up on it and then i tried to get through it here in preparation for this program um didn't make it that far i think uh it's yeah I, I, I made it, I, I think, to the second level of the castle. Um, and I, you know, and I had already played with my son, so I kind of knew some about it. Mm. You know, it'd been a while and I had forgotten a lot of things. So, but, uh, it, the, the problem they have is they're, they're preset encounters. Okay. They've got plus, plus way, encounters. way, way too much walking through corridors and climbing mm-hmm. stairs. And every one of those entries has got three more entries connected mm-hmm. to it where you're really not doing anything, you're just kind of wandering yep. about. And that's the um, thing that they give you the the castle map, yeah. But it has no no numbers on it. It's just an open map, and they say, okay, you're starting here, and then the encounters take you around, and you're trying to figure out, well, where am I on the map compared you're, to that? It's very very easy to get it, lost doing yeah. that. It's it's it, almost impossible. That might be to a feature. I don't know. I mean, maybe that was exciting to see. Well, can I really you know figure this out? But unfortunately, well, I'm, there's I'm, some I'm typos a... that put you in the wrong place, no matter what. Sure. Like there's yeah. multiple so, spots that say there's a door to the west, but there's no door to the west. It's to the east. You know. So one of one of the things I learned, like I said, a long time ago, with with, with when I decided I was we we're going to start doing solo adventures, is we we need to have a mapping mechanic or a component to it because first of all, mapping is a big part of D and D. It really is, especially classic D and D, right? I mean, mapping as you go is a big deal. So that's what we do in ours. Every time you get to an encounter area, we have a cutaway of that map piece that fits into a segmented map that we'll have, we have in the book. So you can print out a segmented area 
And then whenever you go to a new encounter area, like section A, you just draw a section A on your map, but you already know where section A is. And if you go from section A to say D, you just, you know, you, you fill section D in. So you can map as you go. So that's how we solve that problem is we give you uh, every time you turn to Pieces a section, the there's a yeah. piece of the map. So you can, and you can do that, or you can just flip to the page that has the entire map on it and just go through it that way. But you can, you absolutely can, you know, have fun mapping your way through it, which also, by the way, uh, for us, what we found people absolutely love about that is they don't do necessarily every encounter in the solo book, right? I mean, they're, they they may not go to every section, but if they want to go back to one, they can look at their map and say, you know what, I never went over here. So let me go back to section C and read the original entry where it says where I can go. Okay, now I, now I'm going to go over to section D because I didn't do it last time. So it gives you that ability to kind of backtrack. Whereas most frustrating thing about most solo books were they had either maps like this or they had no map at all. And if you accidentally turned the page the wrong way and forgot where you were at, <laughs> what a nightmare trying to go find yourself again. So I, I realized early on, I actually just wrote down, yeah. like I said, okay, I'm C1, C6, C4. I wrote down every single entry as I got to them because there's so much flipping that the chance yes. of you losing your page is pretty high. Um, so that's how I know that how many, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got my, I got my list. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I made it into the basement of the castle um, where there was some BS trap type stuff that was not yes. particularly uh, interesting, but was deadly. deadly. Um, is it? And, I, let, so, that, I'm trying to think, was it, was that the, the pendulum trap? No, this was the brewery, the thing oh, that gives you a minus one for the rest of the game or whatever. Yeah. Like there's the brewery and, then, and the stone that falls so, on your head. So, and then yeah. So, yeah. So talking about overall, I'll, I'll, let me jump out of our in, it, like kind of in-depth gameplay versus to an overall thing. This is an extremely deadly adventure. I mean, it's it's literally unfairly deadly. I mean, I, it, it takes a lot for me to say that. I Okay. <laughs> this, this thing is, it's, it's damn near impossible. If you, I'm telling you, if you take a first level magic user in here, which is a suggested character, you are never going to live in here. You are not going to get your no chance of making it through this adventure. None at all. You just don't have the hit points. You, there's no chance in hell. And honestly, even a third level magic user running around with 10 hit points, your chances of surviving this thing are almost nil. It is extremely deadly. Um, and it's randomly deadly, by the way. It's not that it's even preset deadly. It's, it's the way they set this up, right? Yeah. So there's uh, there's all the murder holes that are like everywhere in this castle, everywhere, and uh, and there's like molten lead that pours through one of them, and it's like D four damage. It's like molten lead for D four damage. That's stupid. That's nothing. And I was like, oh wait, these are wizards. That's it. That's a dead. Fifty percent chance of dying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, um, I listen. Actually, listened to in prep for this this week. I list. I went on on YouTube and listened to a couple of playthroughs where people played, oh, wow. did a live playthrough, and they're actually fun to listen to. But <laughs> these guys are rolling a first level wizard. He goes, "Man, I only rolled two hit points." I'm like, "Why are you even trying? Give your character max hit points before you go in there because you aren't going to survive." <laughs> no chance. Nothing, well, in the nothing, I don't gonna, know die. the so, range of pregens. So there's six uh -huh. pre rolled characters in this thing. Yes. 
And I don't know what they're thinking. Like you go from a third level. And of course, I assume everybody chooses. There's a third level elf with, you know, 14 hit points. Which everyone's like 8,000 XP right there. Down to a first level magic user or elf with four hit points. And I was like, what do you mean rolled? Like you just sort of like one, what, you know, D6 to figure out level one, two or three. I mean, this is just a crazy. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's just some weird stuff here. And so we'll get to the point. So the dungeon, when I earlier I was talking about like there's no real there's preset encounters, I guess, but nothing's really detailed all that well. Yeah, and it's, it's basically empty no, rooms, right? I mean everything's an empty are, room. So it'll yeah, say there's a ladder here, there's a barrel there. Yeah, know? and or every once in a while you walk into a chamber, it'll be something, and it'll say roll for a wandering monster. That's how they right. generate really mm-hmm. all the creatures in the entire adventure. The only time you're going to encounter something is by rolling a dice. Now, there are some rooms where it says you automatically encounter a wandering monster. You go to the wandering monster chart and you roll to see what's in there. Yep. Um, now, for replayability, that's okay. I, sure. I can I, I get that, right? But for sake of anything else, it just doesn't work. And, and because the variety of creatures that they have is insane. You literally can have a first level magic meet a were-tiger. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to work out very well for that first level match. All you need to do is drop a food and have them roll one, two, okay. or three, and you're safe. <laughs> That's all you have to do, right? <laughs> so we're tired of um, being hungry. Uh, uh, so let's go with that for a minute. Um, so the, the the whole premise of this this lion shaped castle, yeah, um, it's kind of ostentatious, right? But like, if you leaned into that, if you were like, okay, no, this guy was like the uh, the beast master wizard, and you know, yeah. just this whole you know African theme or whatever, um, I get it. That would be cool. I could get into that. But there's like nothing that themes it like that very well. I mean, there are a lot of uh, large cats on the random encounters, and there are a few. There's like a, what rock baboons and a couple of other more you know tropical type critters. But um, but it doesn't tell you what they're doing, you know. So you walk into the brewery and there's, you know, a large cat. It was, you know, if, if you had a game master, they could come up with some clever story of what the and, cat's and doing in there and all that. Right. So that's what I want to get at with the random monster chart. That's where it fails. Yeah. So it succeeds in the fact that, yeah, it's got play replayability because you, you're never ever going to encounter the same things in a certain order ever again. You're only because it, it's just way too random. But the problem with it is that randomness is also a massive negative because nothing makes sense. I mean, yeah. just, you know, it's you, just, you in this corner, we have wing in it, you know, this yeah, you walk in, oh, you know, there's right a little, little beetle, right? And, and, and the treasure that they have never makes any sense. Not that it's really going to matter at the end, because I'm going to be the spoiler <laughs> in a little bit. Um, but it's just, uh, and, and again, I, I, I know you have that mechanic where you can drop food if you run away, whatever, but. Um, that first of all, it's only basically a 50-50 shot that it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, you're probably dead. Um, yep. And even if it does work, you probably need to go back through that room anyway to get further on in the dungeon. So at a certain point, you're going to have to usually combat these things. But I and, think it's gone. I, I, I think that monster is gone when you come back and you roll a new wandering you monster. roll a new one. I was but, thinking you... Maybe it's maybe not with the monsters. I can't remember if it tells you to write the monsters down or not. But that's uh, if you die. So if, if you yeah. die, it, it, this was a actually fairly cool mechanic they have in here. So they they have a uh, on the margins of the books they have a basically what they call their magic 
journal or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just yeah. a it's just a sidebar where you can keep notes. So every time your character, if you bring a character in here and he gets a few rooms in, you can make notes in the margins as he gets through. And if that character dies, you can bring your new character in, and your new character kind of has the magic journal automatically appears to him. So he yes, can kind of get kept through at to this bar that you learn about this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's just it's a it's a respawning technique, um, which is actually I liked it a lot. It's, that's of, something I would yeah, think bringing I, into even uh, normal D anD D game of like you know if here's the magic journal from a previous group. These yes. are their notes. They all died. You can read about it right here. <laughs> Last page. Ah, yeah, you know, a monster that, or something. Like that'd be a really cool thing. I think. I I. I, it, it, like I said, there there are some really cool mechanics. In it. That was one of them. It's very cool. Um, and I have picked up many copies of this book through the years, and I have seen people who actually they have <laughs> written in the margin. And it's fun to go through and read, you know, some of the margins. But some of them are where I remember specifically one guy. He uh, he just wrote, "This is this is bullshit." <laughs> um, it is uh, again though, guys. It, it is. Played, played is written. It is somewhat. It's very dry. I'll, I'll just put it out there. It's very dry. You can play. You can sit here literally for thirty minutes and not encounter a goddamn thing. And the room descriptions are all vanilla as vanilla gets because they're just not really. They're not set up as encounters. They're just areas. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I would have liked to see them start. like tie some of these monsters into the room, and then you just yeah. simply they, note when you've. Killed they really them. needed some preset. This is what's in this room, no matter what encounters. And it really does. It, it's kind of there, but there's very, very few. And I would thin out. I mean, you've got everything under the sun, under your encounter tables. I would thin that out to just things that seem thematic. And then maybe yeah. have like a sub chart where you roll to see what they're doing. Um, or, or maybe like what, what response they would have to, a, you know, maybe, maybe this bugbear, you know, he's, you know, looking for food and he's willing to make some trades and maybe tell you where something's at that you need to know or something. But if they had like sub tables where you could kind of randomize what they're doing or how, how they'll interact, I think yeah. that would be helpful. So yeah. I, I can kind of get that in my old school or, or my, this old dungeon part. So just, just kind of wrapping up like what's in it. Mm-hmm. So that's it in a nutshell. You, you you're going to basically go from, from, uh, number to number it's like a you know paint by number kind of same kind of thing or if you ever played any of the uh uh, endless quest books it's the same kind of thing so if you're going to roll dice here from time to time uh, it's extreme like i said it's extremely deadly most of these monsters you'll be hard pressed to find a monster on that list i think there's about 30 30 of them off the top of my head i can look it's sitting right here um about 28 of them are going to slaughter any of those i mean they any they did a they did a nice job actually I thought of uh, having so in each room it tells you to roll a d twelve I think plus some number and so based in the on early what part level of, the, yeah based on the what early, level uh, the building you're in yeah in the early yeah. part of the adventure you add a high number and then if and later on if you're deeper in you add a lower number and I thought they actually did a nice job of grading yeah. that. You know that encounter. Like I, mean, I, I like agree with you that there's stupid rats, encounters, surges, things. That, right, exactly. Know. But there's a whole bunch of them up in those high numbers that are totally survivable and make sense for a yeah, sure. Uh, I think you kind of a giant rat or two. Um, yeah, there's, exactly. The rat, the there's, sturge, there's, there's the, some of the those, goblin, the orc. It's just it. Yeah, a lot of them are completely unwieldy. I just, I, I mean, well, the PC literally has no elf, shot yeah. now against a bunch of these. It just it doesn't matter what it is. You just have to figure you have some mechanic to escape, but. I think levitate right. works on a, a bunch, you know, yeah. bunch of, 
any of the characters that have second level souls, I think almost all have levitate. Um, I mean, they're uh, even at number 13 out of 24, you're just at a giant tiger beetle with two hit dice, which, you know, as the third level elf is... You got a shot. Yeah, you're, you know, well, it's a fair fight. Them. Same armor class, similar hit yeah. points, well, and, and similar that damage. rule set there at the beginning goes really strictly over morale and how you're going to rule that. So well, morale's you a, little damage, morale's, you yeah, morale's yeah. A, a mechanic most people do not use in BX, yeah. but in here they push it because it is a way to, to hopefully give your your shitty a little more survivability and, right of uh, you know if you hit that uh you hit that lion or panther with your dagger do one point of damage well he's got a rural morale check and mm-hmm. hopefully he misses it and he runs away so you you have a shot i mean they put they do try to work some things in the problem is the the what's problematic about the whole thing is is inevitably you are going to lose to the dice you just are it's just the the Better. idea that you're going to get through this thing, um, like I said, the couple of playthroughs I listened to, these guys had died four, five, six, seven <laughs> times. Trying well, to you know, another another thing I was uh, noticing on the gameplay side is that, you know, we all sort of make fun of every once in a while the GM in a normal game has to talk to themselves or has to fight themselves, and how isn't <laughs> yeah. that boring? Well, this is all you're doing here. You know, you roll. Oops, I missed. Oh, the goblin missed. Oops, I missed. Oops, the goblin. Oh, the goblin hit. Okay, minus two hit points. Oops, I missed. Oops, what are like? Oh my god. <laughs> uh, you can have fun with it. Believe me. Um, there are some poison creatures in here, which I I yep. just don't understand why they're in a solo adventure because that's just it's black widow patently yeah. unfair. These these magic users and elves have horrible poison saving throws. Um. You know, they they literally gonna have a seventy. They get hit with a poison creature, seventy five percent chance they're probably gonna die. Um, well, I mean, the good news is since you're running it for yourself, you know it's a poison creature, so you can exactly run away from this one. Yep. Yeah. So, there's no surprises. No, there aren't. Um, I, I, it did. Like it did the, crack the me up. In general, I, 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 I think when I was younger, I thought it was cool. When I was in like college age, I thought it was stupider than hell. And now I'm, cool. I'm able to appreciate it for being something novel. It's a kind of cool castle. It's kind of laid out, interesting. Um, it, it is. It's uh, I, I live in it. it. As it's many like problems as it has, it's still it's still it's an interesting thing to sit down and play. It, it just is. Um, okay, well, I won't give it that, but <laughs> I think it is. I I do, uh, and especially because <laughs> if you play, if you get to play all the way through, and the reason I say that now we can move on. We'll just finish up like the contents of it, and then we yeah. can talk. I guess. More about our like how we would fix this. Um, so your your character essentially eventually will find the ghost of this magic user. And um the crooks of it is is you kind of get screwed. Um so you don't really gain anything. And he even tells you uh you don't really gain anything by being my heir except the experience of having gone through this dungeon. Um <laughs> wow. and then he advises you. Hey, if you're hurt or whatever, just go to this room over there to the east side of the, I think it's on the east side of the dungeon, go over there and all your problems will be solved. And you're like, oh, hey, I'm going to go, go do this. Right. So you go there and it winds up being his bed chamber. And of course, there's a big bed there and you lay down and rest while you heal all your hit points. You didn't get this far, did you, Edwin? No, I didn't. As I say, I got bored and you like, after I to. died, and then I went a little no, further. You're, and you're I, be, I couldn't even read pissed. it. So you <laughs> lay down want. in this bed and you <laughs> heal all your hit points, but all the treasure you found in the dungeon vanishes, and you get teleported back to the inn. 
<laughs> I mean, it has it has a ring. whole it has a whole <laughs> lot of of early sort of screw you kind of D and D. Oh, it does. It like, absolutely does. This and that's just the no king of reason. It. That just... doesn't work for no apparent reason. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, right. Why? Like, what? What is the who 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 gets pleasure? Out of writing a solo game that screws the, like the player doesn't enjoy it, and there's no one else who's going to enjoy like, like no one else enjoys, right? I, I just like, think it's of like that. some I'm sort like, of puritanical. So, so I had seven <laughs> characters die through this thing. I finally made it all the way through this. It's a slog of a dungeon, and yeah. I get to the end, and then you rip me off by stealing all my shit. Um, and and for oh, what? It's, it's, it's not it's like you're worried about. You know, it, oh my! Your character is going to be too powerful when they what? When they go to the next solo adventure? When they like? No, so your character's not going to. I wonder if this is the, the next mentality. solo because the guy took it all. No, no, so that's I, what I'm saying. But but why do that? Like in a, in a real game, in a in a in a you know in a normal game, there's a there's an incentive to take away the the player's treasure this, or whatever this, because this you want to absolutely, absolutely hits on 1980. Exactly. Exactly. DM versus player. I, I do exactly. wonder about this. Uh, when I was a kid, one of the first experiences I had with a game master is um, we'd only be able to play like once a month. And he gave me, I think it was an endless quest book. And, it, but it maybe it wasn't cause it had, it had a combat mechanic in it and stuff. I, I can't remember, but he's like, Hey, you can go through this module and you can count as an experience for your, for your character. Yeah. So right. I wonder if that's what that thought was about is, okay, you get the experience, but everything else gets reset. So you don't mess up your game master's game that's world just, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, that's no, a be- dumb reason. It's a very like, dumb it, reason. And, and yeah. I, I, I thought of immediately when I thought of this, I'm like, okay, so what really should be in the backstory of this is this guy's really not dead. He's still alive. He's he just, just suckers people in there to steal all their, <laughs> steal their stuff. It's, it's dungeon Inc. It's the, it's the game I'm yeah. translating. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. When my son played it, I made the ring be a, a ring of animal control, and then I had oh, nice. the castle start to fall apart. It was kind of like he was—he gave him his his knowledge, he gave him some spells, yeah, yeah. I think, and he's like, "Okay, now I've passed on what I've you know." And you could have done world. so much then, more. You're right. Yeah. You you could have done so much more with this. I mean, and honestly, look, I mean, first, second, third level magic users in BX are incredibly weak characters. Mm-hmm. They're their Very spell squishy. selection isn't great. Their spells don't do what they do in AD in most cases. They're they're generally much weaker characters. And this is the, to me, this was an adventure module that just missed its opportunity to say, okay, here's how we can do a couple things to beef up this little first level magic user, right? Like you said, he could have got a couple of spell powers or 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 props you know spells, some magic ability he gained, some you know unique magic items to magic users. There's just things you could have done here that are to- they totally missed on, um, because it doesn't. Is there any? Honestly, the adventure does not feel magic user centric in the least. By the way, no. is there especially anything that it doesn't? You'd be is there anything that, better off with a that beefs up? Is there anything that beefs up the characters during the adventure, or does it just get harder as you get deader? Pretty much, yes. No, exactly. there's really yeah. nothing in there that helps. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's it's crazy, right? You'll, you'll go in a room and everyone. There's not much in it, first of all. No. So but you can't level up or, or get there's no, not a lot of not, useful you, magic items and there there really aren't any. Um there's yeah. very, very few. Some of the monsters have like I mean, one of the monsters has gauntlets of ogre power. Well, that's all great, except monsters just can't use them. Um, but right. there's um uh there every once in a while you'll find a room and they'll be like, Oh, there's a there's a war hammer leaning against the wall or something like that. And it's like, okay, where where could we go with this, you know, that would be fun and cool or 
some of this magic is used. Well, it's not it's just a warhammer leaning against a wall that he can never use, um, or an axe in another room. And it even says in the margin on a couple of these in the magic journal, they have entries like like reminder entries and stuff, which mm -hmm. are pretty cool. And there's yeah. a room where I think you find a hand axe, and in the magic journal entry, it says, "Just remember, magic users can't use hand axes." Well, <laughs> right. okay, that's why you choose the elf. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, they're probably all dead by the time you get there, so because you're going to run out of NPCs. But I so I don't know it, it. It so to this old dungeon is really hard because it's a solo adventure, and you really shouldn't. You don't. Well, that's what I would. That that that's the first thing I would this old dungeon is I wouldn't do it as a solo adventure. There you go. So I mean, because honestly, as soldiers, you don't want to know what's in it, right? You you want that unexpected thing. The problem is there's way too much unexpected to solve. Uh, we have a lot of people play ours. They actually use ours as they'll play it solo, but we get emails all the time where people use it as a one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. dungeon because they're doing sure. exactly what looted. They they take their eight or nine-year-old kid and it's a they're great tools because there's entries you can read them as hey, especially if they're just learning how to play in a role-playing game. Solo dungeons are great ways to introduce people to solo to, to to RPGs in general because it's like okay you're in this you're in this encounter you can do A B or C yeah. and it's not like you're just trying to limit it but you're you're teaching them that there's, there's always options. options wherever you're at and yeah. you're going to start using your imagination to get more options um, so we have a lot of people use it as that one on one tool so I that's the first thing I would do is what Lou said earlier I would use this as a, a especially this one in particular, it would be way better fit suited as a one DM, one player. I and would totally I use this I map. Actually, I don't even see why I can actually go through do and it fill one the rooms on one. with uh, yeah, and then you could do you could fill it with monsters that make sense. And you could yeah. pre-fill it. And uh, you know, so we're getting completely away from it's a solo dungeon. What would I do to fix the solo dungeon part? There's really not much you can do with it other than Okay, here's one thing here's one thing I would change about it as so Speaking of being over mechanized, for initiative, you roll a d6 for yourself, and then you roll a d6 for the other group, and whoever gets the d6, the higher one, they start combat. Yes, right. That that's called a coin flip. But in this game, you got to roll a die twice in order to figure out who goes first. So I was just like, come on, <laughs> come on, just, so, just oh, <laughs> they, they. I'm surprised that I don't think they mentioned it in here, but. So if I have, let me look at the L character. So in, in basic, if you have a dexterity bonus, you can add that to your initiative die roll. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, not I mean, mentioned. It's not mentioned. There's a character with a 15 dex, so he's got a plus one. Exactly. So uh, in, in basic, 13 to 15, 13 to 16 is a, I can't remember exactly. 13 to 15, 13 is plus one. 16 or 17 is plus two, 18 is plus three. Right, so but they, yeah. All these characters have high dexes. Yep. Because the elves, exactly. Uh, no, this third level elf does. He has a nine. It's his lowest stat. That's crazy. Um, this other elf, this third level man, she's got an eleven. So four out of the six have got bonuses to their to their initiative roll with dexterity. And it's crazy; it's not mentioned because that that is a big factor. That's huge. That's it's huge. So huge. So. Um, Especially yeah. the way they went out of their way to go into so many mechanics in here, right? It yeah. surprises me that that's that's the black. <laughs> For me, they really need to punch up the the ghost part of it too. You know, Ghost yeah. of Lion Castle. You only encounter ghostly things happening like out of the hundreds of encounters. There's maybe like four, uh, right? 
So I would do a lot more with, well, you know, some of the traps yeah. and stuff that go off having, you know, having it have a piece of text that talks about, you know, distant laughter or whatever, you know, some sort of spooky ambiance beyond. I mean, know, who, who are seconds. all these who are all these humanoids living in this magically protected dungeon that only elves and magic users can <laughs> enter and only one at a time? <laughs> Unless you're an orc or a hobgoblin or a giant right. ferret or a rock baboon or a like, <laughs> right? The but, yeah, it the the solo part of it is just so it's it's honestly um, <gasps> it's very off putting. It, it and, and the the whole the courtyard has like 120 encounter entries, and you literally yeah. nothing. There's so nothing I, there. You're gonna go out of your mind finding paths and empty stairs and an empty towers. Yeah, so I, I got through that pretty quickly. I only did about yeah. 15, 20, I think I did 20 entries before I made it into the into the lion itself. But you didn't then, but essentially you don't do anything, right? No, you're exactly. Just, no, let's just yeah, reading, that's, go right, go yeah. Reading go exactly. right, go left, go right, go left the whole freaking time. Um yeah. that's no, there was which nothing if they there. just numbered the map, then you don't have to do that. You can just be you like definitely okay, have you to know. Do that. And it's very weird because that is very unlike, by the way, so if this was your only solo dungeon experience, this, this in a lot of ways, would be a really bad example of one Uh, because most of them are not like this. Most of them have a lot of preset encounters, uh, especially all the tunnels and troll stuff. You are, you are constantly doing something and engaging Mm -hmm. always. There's none of this. There's no role play choices either. You you never really run into something where you you you, the choices are: do you want to you know befriend or attack? Do you ask them this? Do you ask them that? You know, they just tried really really hard to make the text match up as a game component for mapping, and it just fails. It just fails Mm -hmm. really badly. Um, That's what I'm saying. If you were if you really need to turn this into a one on one adventure. where you can stock it yourself and then just kind of lead the player can just kind of go through it. Right. And yeah. And not have to do all that because there's a lot of just nothingness in here, uh, which is unfortunate because it, there are, I like the concept of it in general. Um, I like the idea of maybe a magic user only soul dungeon. I mean, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah. But then it should be tailored toward them, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah the challenges should be like yeah, magically. This there should be. You got to read magic of, here. You got to detect magic there. You got to yeah, just here with you, the, know, you know, magical labs, like levitate and or something. Fount- yeah. yeah, fountains, potions. You know, uh, yeah. a, a room, a libraries. I mean, there's so many things you can do that are not just are not. They just don't exist here. And um, you know, a magic user walking down a hallway and all of a sudden a panther jumps out. Is not fun. So, um, <laughs> and then all the, so the other mechanics you can run away, right? So, so it's, hey, you can run away from monsters. Uh, well, the problem is you. We're have sorry, to, Merle. Yeah, Merle, you have to move faster <laughs> than the monsters to run like away. You said, though, the I'll concepts describe. there, right? I the mean, it's vast it's majority. Be- there's very few slow stuff. The vast right. majority of these monsters are faster than you are, mm-hmm. and anything that will probably kill you is faster than you. That's the true. ones that yeah. are slower, the ones you can probably beat, except maybe the ogre, which, by the way, yeah, an ogre, right? Mm-hmm. Four, four so, hit that ogre is going to wipe anybody out in this on yep. that list. So I think it would be fun to uh, to bring like use the dungeon master's guide and bring like Boot Hill or Gamma World into this. You know, see, sure. see what happens when you take one of those characters. Can you solo play with that? You know, right? right. <laughs> bring in a laser gun and conversions. So in the back yeah, of the, back to, the, 
the map is actually pretty cool. I, I yeah, it's a good map. I it, like it's it. a good map, right? I mean, I mean, there there are some really redeeming things about this. Um, unfortunately, the one the things that aren't redeeming it just are really bad. So it is one of those just one extreme to another kind of things. Um, well, I even like the concept of, of Sargon being this, you know, entity that's that's searching for a uh, you know someone to take over an heir or whatever. Yep. I don't oh, think yeah. it's fully executed there, but the idea of that, instead of just being some horrible thing, you got to go destroy. But yeah, well, and, the, the and, I, and I like the is... idea of it, of it as sort of a a um, a rite of passage. You know, so there's a magic school in the town next door, and you know, before you hit level five, sometime, anytime, you got to go to this thing and just just see how far you get. Right. Yeah. And so at some point you so, get kicked out. And so here's a, I mean, yeah, here's a crit again, like I like the idea of a magic user centric thing, but you have to like at the end, he even tells you, you know, you you survived the my test or whatever. There's no test. The only test is you actually survive. So what right. it'd be really cool if there was a bunch of mm -hmm. rooms in here that were tests and you would accumulate something every time you pass the test, yeah. right? You know, in coin, this room, there's bad. a you know right, whatever a defenseless yeah. bugbear caught in a you know some sort of pit sure. trap. Do you help him feed him? Do you kill him? You know, and right. it turns out that that was just an illusion that he created as part of or, the. Or you, you know, can use one of have mercy. Yeah, you use one of the more obscure first level magic user spells that you're saddled with one of the NPCs um, to to solve a room or whatever. You know, um, I mean, I can't tell you how many magic users. The first level magic users are all their only spells read magic. Right. That's really going to get him very far in here. So, so they have a plus one dagger, though. <laughs> the one's got like three or four magic items, right? One of the first yeah. It's crazy. I, it uh, crazy. I also like the bar. I, I like this idea of this but... on the edge of the wilderness bar, you know, this like little watering hole just before yeah. you get to the Serengeti where, you know, everyone's giving you shit because you're the, the out-of-towner, you know, and oh, yeah. you know, let's get this guy to go do this thing. I, I think that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is pretty cool. Um. So yeah, I I mean I don't know I think uh, like I said when I was thinking of this old dungeon you, you really can't this old dungeon as a solo adventure because mm -hmm. you would have to read through the whole thing and then fix everything you didn't like and it really doesn't work that way so I I would play it as written because just for the um, the painful experience that you're going to enjoy <laughs> by by doing that I think is is very cool but as a if I own the module. And I want to do something with that. I'm going to go where Lou went with this, right? And use it as a one-on-one -on -one, uh, and kind of stock it myself and keep some sort of theming in it. The African, I love the African safari kind of theme inside. I mean, it makes sense. It works. You can do some real fun stuff with it. Um, I, I might keep some of the random stuff because it's always, it, it is always interesting just to roll a dice to see what the hell is going to happen. There's some... There is some classic way in that. Again, especially when you've got a game master that can then interpret that randomness and put it in the context. Right? Yes. And... Yeah. 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 Um, but there's just some weird stuff in here. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think there's three or four wandering monsters, and it says, you know, what treasure they have. And there's at least what three of them have a hundred exactly 135 gold pieces. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just like, I, got, I didn't I like describe one, them having like a bag a or anything. Bit? They're just like yeah. <laughs> Arm loads of treasure walking around the dungeon. There's a beetle. Like, I got, there. I got, There's a beetle. I got one gold piece from somebody. Or something. I'm like, what? <laughs> I think. Oh yeah, I got one gold piece from an orc, and I gave it to the hobgoblin, and then the hobgoblin rolled a two, and uh, 
wandered away. I talked to it and gave it a gold <laughs> piece because it just said you had to give it treasure. And I was like, well, that's the only treasure I have. So uh, here you what? go. <laughs> So I was like, I'm not fighting a hobgoblin, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, in my son's adventure, I can't I was trying to remember what it was. When he said uh, the traps in the basement, I was thinking it was it. But, but I remember him getting into some trap that, like, basically killed him. But, you know, we, we play fast and loose. Yeah. So I was kind of like, okay, um, you know, you were bleeding out. What do you do? And he, like, crawled into a room and barricaded the door and lived off of, like, rats for a week while he healed. <laughs> it was, it was awesome. awesome. But uh, anyhow, so um, any other final thoughts? I know we've kind of we've, we've kicked all the tires, I think, here. Uh, don't run out of food in this dungeon because if you don't yeah. have any food, by the way, you take two hit points per day. So yeah, if you're right. all the magic is it, you're dead. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that's only if you rest. You could literally, a first level magic is, yeah, well, or just never rest, right? A right first if you rest, you gain a hit point and then you lose two hit points. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly how it works. Dude. <laughs> First of all, magic is literally starve to death in a day and a half or something like that. It's crazy. <laughs> magic is 16 hour energy drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I think that's it for me. It's it's a it's a cool book, guys. Yeah. So all you listeners out there, it is a cool book. It, it's the maps are are great. Um, it's got it's got charts. It's it's put together pretty well. The, the interior art's good. Yeah, the interior art is interior. great. It, the layout does suffer, and solo modules they'll do suffer because. It's just the way they have to be presented. There's just a lot of text and there's a lot yeah. of individual text blocks. Um, you know, I, I, could it have been done a little different? Sure, but they tried to put that that margin in there for your magic journal, which... And that's pretty nice. Know, I do like that as that a concept. and really a cool. Like that's, yeah, that's well it, really, it even tells you, to, like, if you enter this room, like, and you pick up this item, cross it off on scratch this out. Scratch it off, yeah. so um it breaks the, that fourth wall a lot but it's fun so um I, I would say yeah this is a go out and get it you can get it on drive through by the way people so opportunity to I, say it, uh, I think pdf only or yeah pdf only i don't think yeah a, yeah a physical version available but uh you can find it on ebay it's gonna be it's, a little yeah. pricey but um it, it's a cool product it's a great product of its day i mean again it's 1984 well don't don't um, oversell it no, I, I'm not. Well, I will ask you this, Bill, because because you've kind of recently looked at a lot of these. Um, is there a solo adventure from back in the day that you would say is your favorite? Um, oddly enough, I kind of like. I do for, for from TSR. Mm-hmm. I, I their best one, I I think, is probably Lathan's Gold. That's it's a lot favorite. like this. It, it's a lot like this, but you do a lot more, mm-hmm. and it's um. It's kind of cool, actually, because you know how we were talking, like, the, the super high-level characters are, like, um, are doing different things, like, trying to become lords or whatever. Lathan's Gold kind of like that, but for, like, a low-level character. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it's, I don't know, I, I do like it. It's just got more variety. It, it's the same presentation for the most part as this, but it's it's absolutely done much better. Um, as far as TSR goes, the rest of them are, are honestly kind of crappy. I mean, Mystery of the Snow Pearls, maybe, but now you're that back to a... red, red Lens Viewer, so you can't read it, and and the ink has gone bad on those. By the way, so even if you get a Red Lens, you can't really. It doesn't really it's work. Faded where you can't. Yeah, it just it does it doesn't work. Hmm. Um, if you go back in the day, uh, uh, Tunnels and Troll Soul Adventure books, there's a couple of really really good ones. Um, there's the classic ones. That everyone knows, you know, um, but uh, 
one I think one's called the Misty Wood. It's really good. It, it, it's actually got some. It's got some really really good encounters in it. So if you can get your hands on that one, uh, pick that up just to read through it. You'll enjoy it. All right, Edwin. Any advice on solo play? Any any modules or things you've uh, encountered? Not necessarily TSR, but anything else that you you feel is a real solid solid uh, solo play. <laughs> I mean, the only the only solo play stuff that has ever come close, even when I was a kid, to engaging me uh, was has been the these chaosium um, against the whatever I don't remember alone alone against alone, the blank. Uh, so yeah, they're yeah alone against whatever series yeah. And uh, and and it was mostly because they put it into a a nice little app uh, so mm-hmm. that so that the pacing picked mm-hmm. up. Um, but yeah, it, it's apparently not my thing. <laughs> well, this is not a great example. I'm gonna send no, you. No, no, but this out. is not the first. No, no, I, I, I've, I've played, <laughs> I played them as a kid. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. This is not a great example, but it's just for whatever reason, it's just not apparently not a thing that uh, that really appeals to me because I've never found one that worked for me. I'll send you one of ours, Edwin. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to skip Geek Credit this week. And uh, so, John and Lone DM, we will throw you guys into the mix on our next episode. Um, we got some some possible exciting news coming up. We've been uh, talking with some folks, might have a contest coming our way that might be kind of fun. But until then, I think we're going to leave it here. Um, I'm Lou Alou. Good night, everybody. This is Edwin. Good night, guys. Happy gaming. <laughs> All right, Dungeoneers, you're going to be glad you stuck around here because uh, we, we've got the prize at the bottom of the cereal box. Got a little bonus content here. Good friend of the show, Hambone McGuire. John, how are you doing tonight? And what do you got going on? Dude, I am doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's always a blast chatting with you. I am getting ready to launch the next Kickstarter uh, for 3 2 in Action Games, uh, another horror adventure called The Hotel Exorcist. Nice. Now, uh, folks, I, I know you've probably heard about the, the last set of uh, books that he produced for 321 Action here on the program. Um, hopefully you ordered them. I know I did. And, uh, you know, I already said it to you on Facebook, but, man, I was blown away by the production value of those books, by the, the layout, the artistry. They are just such beautiful products, man. Thanks a lot, man. I feel like writing them is fun. You know, writing them is a blast, but it's really nice that, I get to work, you know, and my partner, George, uh, we're a two-man operation, 321 Action Games. We co-write everything together. We come up with all these ideas together. And, like, we're very fortunate that we get to work with such cool artists. And, like, I will say that, you know, say whatever you will about social media. It has been great to discover new and awesome artists and Mm -hmm. being able to, like, pay people to draw monsters, which is all they really want to do anyway. (laughs) You know, their work shines and, and because of their amazing work and she's Hasselberger uh, doing the layout work. Uh, those are, That's the reason why our books look so good. It's not not me and George. It's it's the people who uh, we can get to work with us because the Kickstarter is fun, because we get the money through the Kickstarters to to pay people to do some cool stuff. So it all goes to something and it goes to something great uh, on a product like this i you know it's one thing to have good art uh and, and that you do and, and and you know a lot of us you know we're working with some just outstanding talent but what i really was blown away by is just like the little flourishes like the little like 
you know, the, the backgrounds that are set in color, you know, and, and behind some of the pictures and in text and the, I don't know how to describe it, folks. If you didn't order it and see it, you need to get out there and do it. And this will be another opportunity, I'm sure, to to see this kind of production value. But it's just just gorgeous. Um, so the Hotel Exorcist. All right, man. Wow. Uh, you mind if before we we really get into nuts and bolts of that? Um, do you mind if we just have a quick conversation about like how do you do horror in role playing? You know, that's a that's a hard you know, hard cat to catch. <laughs> it's hard, man. It is not an easy thing to do because, you know, you're, you're working with theater of the mind. Mm -hmm. So I think to a certain degree, it's important to let people paint their own picture in their mind palace of what's going on. <laughs> like I think as a, as a dungeon master, game runner, keeper of secrets or, you know, whatever chill master, <laughs> um, you know, you, you could only go so far and you could only try to maneuver people into certain positions. And, you know, it's really up to the player to 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 find the horror in really what's going on. But it's important to kind of give them the set pieces that they can react to. You know, for instance, in The Devil in New Jersey, uh, there is this one particularly gnarly scene where something it's it's a jump scare essentially of what happens and then the players have this moment where they get to react and then they get to react to the horror of how they had to get away from the situation um i think telling people you know giving people ambience um and the autonomy to react to that ambience is a big thing like you know when you're out there you're describing like the smells of mm -hmm. the forest you know the sound or the lack of the sound, you know, how the air feels around you. And, you know, everyone interprets it in different ways. Like you don't necessarily, I think, have to try to pigeonhole it just so you can get that visceral reaction from the people. I think, you know, if you kind of kind of lay it up for them, they're going to slam dunk it on their own. And I think that's a, it's a good way to do it. Yeah. I, I, I like that answer, man. I like, you know, the, I see a lot of people that try to write, a, a horror themed adventure or whatever lean heavy into oh i've got this really gruesome monster that's really you know deadly and and a lot of times that's not as scary as these little oh you know you heard this you know strange squeaking sound in the closet you open it up and all that's there are some you know coat hangers rattling or whatever you know uh that that ambient stuff you're talking about it seems to go a lot further getting a lot more you know mileage on that kind of stuff well, but you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that show. Uh, Are you afraid of the dark? Uh huh. You know, Midnight Society they throw the fire in there and they tell like the ghost story. I think a lot of horror in RPGs really should be, and this is my opinion. I mean, people, everyone's got their own way to skin a cat, but I think there's a certain degree of campfire storytelling that needs to go on to really set the tone of mm -hmm. what's happening. Like, it isn't so much the thing that's happened. Or thing that happens, the inciting moment, as it is, what kind of got you to that moment, and then yeah. people get to riff on that. And like you know, with action, all of our stories, what we do, like when you play three to an action, you're essentially playing through the movie. You know, you're you're kind of playing, and you're getting to these like cut scenes where we'll tell you about kind of what's going on, but everything in between those moments, you know, you've got a wide berth to decide which way the story goes, and you might not, you know, stay to the beats of what we're doing and that'll be on the game runner to kind of take in that direction. But, you know, if you 
just read the stories, the gray boxes. Once the story starts, you actually get a full story and you get a story that has a lot of heart in it. And we, I tend to notice in horror, um, heartbreak and the things that happen to characters that you care about is almost more horrific than any kind of monster. So I think if you find a way to kind of tie that together and make people care about, you know, the stakes of the game, um, mm -hmm. that's horror in its own way. Now, as far as, um, I, again, we'll get, we'll get into the nuts and bulls soon, uh, yeah. but I'm assuming cause it's called the hotel exorcist. There's going to be some exorcism taking place uh, or, or in need of an exorcism at this place. Yeah, definitely. So, the Hotel Exorcist, and if you want to check out The Hotel Exorcist, you can go to Drive Through RPG right now, and you can download for free the prelude to this story. It's called The Hotel Exorcist, Only the Lonely. Now, what The Hotel Exorcist is, is a team of people. They're called um, the Order of the Fox, and the foxes travel the country, hotels, motels, bed and breakfasts, and they excise unwanted guests from there. I was a traveling salesman for a long time. I spent a lot of time uh, alone in hotel rooms. <laughs> and when you spend a lot of time on the road alone, you kind of have like these moments of existential dread. And, you know, and not to to be too morbid, but there's times that I'm just like, what if I died here? Like, what happens to my spirit? Like, who's got to deal with that? You know, yeah. like, you know, you watch something <laughs> on the TV and like this hotel is haunted. And you're like, wow. A lot of people just do die alone in hotels. And, you know, that that kind of sent me down a weird rabbit hole. And I'm like, so who would deal with that? You know, and I, The Exorcist is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I would die on the hill to say it is a perfect movie. And, you know, I wanted to kind of approach that from a different angle. I wanted to approach it as not so much tied into like Catholicism and traditional, what we know is I need an old priest and a young priest kind of exorcism, <laughs> more as like, yeah, what about like a freewheeling, hard traveling hero that like really goes around our great country and has to deal with this stuff? You know, like I think about, you know, you hear those old great rock stories, you know, Grand Parsons dying in the Joshua Tree Motel room eight. Like, who deals with that? Yeah. The hotel actually does. <laughs> and that was kind of the, the direction I was going to go is um, like, did you do a lot of research going into this as far as like, you know, what real exorcisms are like or anything like that? Or, or is it kind of you're like, you know, I'm going to kind of invent something new within this genre. So George, my partner, had a great concept when we started doing the Sunset Limited, um, where we tar started talking about traditional style folklore and how a lot of ways it is based off of one type of religion. And like, in a way, it's audacious to think that, well, if you're only this, you stand a chance against the forces of darkness. When, you know, mm. strokes to rule the world, you know, we, we don't get painted with all the same brush. So we try to approach that in the same way where it's not just like, you know, it's it's tied into the church. It's just that, you know, there are evil and terrible entities out there that exist in the world. And there are other ways to deal with them. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we've been coming up with, you know, weapons, items, different things where like you will deal with whatever entity you're going to come across or whatever thing that you're going to be fighting in this story where it's not just like, you know, you hold up a cross and the power of Christ compels you. Like <laughs> there's got to be other things out there. Um, so we, uh, we came up, we came up with some pretty fun stuff, man. Some, some really ridiculous stuff that, you know, it ties into folklore in, in a lot of ways, some stuff that ties into folklore, some stuff that like, you know, 
sage. You know, every every person's like, you know, we, we need to cleanse this place. And you're burning sage. So burning I came, sage, up, yeah. <laughs> came up with something fun to do with sage. But at the same time, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Right. One of my favorite shows of all time. I've watched all 15 seasons multiple times. Uh, <laughs> you know, but the thing about it is, you know, when there's such a and I'm sure you run into this, too, when you're writing stuff like there's such a. A language that is spoken by people who enjoy pop culture. And some things that are like, it's cool to make a nod to something, but you don't want to just redo what they've already done. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are certain things that I wanted to to do that I was like, okay, but I need to to change it because otherwise someone's gonna be like, oh, you, you've only talked about how much you love Supernatural on every podcast you've ever done, Hambone. <laughs> so, um, enough already, enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you, uh, I'll tell you one thing that we did. Are you familiar with the show uh, King of the Hill? Cartoon King of the Hill? Yeah. All right. So it's probably one of my favorite shows of all time. And recently, uh, Johnny Harwick, the guy who passed did away, yeah. Yeah. Dale Gribble passed away. And I, you know, like I don't get bummed about people who are famous who die, but man, that's Dale Gribble. So I was <laughs> like, I want to do something that is so ridiculous to honor one of the great voice actors of all time and one of my favorite characters. So uh, there is an item that you can get or you use, you have on you. It's called uh, Shackleford soil because Rusty Shackleford was one of his, his alter ego. And it, it comes from like the boot Hill cemetery and like you can use it to seal off and ward rooms and like whatever, like, but the special ability is called pocket sand. So you can hurl it at like an evil entity and like, I, I I'll, <laughs> there's nuance to it, but that's what it's like. I, I, I love being able to write this stuff and be able to kind of give that kind of like, if you know, you know, and yeah. you know, you have a special you know, still plays sand. out fine. And yeah, that's yeah. Excellent. So stupid, but I love it. It makes me, it makes <laughs> me laugh. So I guess the, the story within this adventure is it a particular hotel and one encounter or I'm kind of getting the vibe that maybe this is like you're following these people as they do this job across, you know, several, you know, bed and breakfast hotels, motels, whatever. So it starts off, uh, we drop you right into the action. You are actually, you and your friends are performing an exorcism. Like you start off with a fight, right? Nice. Right from Jump Street. Meteor is. Yeah, and then you kind of go into the story, and then you start investigating. So, yeah, it takes place in a fictional town called Willowbrook, Pennsylvania. And you and your team of exorcists go to uh, – you start in a motel uh, on the outskirts of this area where they're building a resort. And then you have to go in and work inside the resort and see what's going on in the resort, you know. Because, you know, America, beautiful roadside – motels everywhere you go like you get a little further out from the city uh you see like these with great neon signs you know free cable tv and air conditioning kind of motels so you you, you know you're going to start in one of those and then um you know around the corner there's always like well this is the golf club this is the country club resort that they're building you know <laughs> so yeah that's that you're going to explore that and i don't want to give too much away because mm-hmm. there's some, some pretty cool twists and turns in there as well uh, we're in the process of writing it right now while we finish up the Sunset Limited and get that ready to go off to uh, to lay out. Do you start with uh, prescribed characters, pre-generated characters, or is it intended for them to, to make their own for this? So you can absolutely make your own characters. We always give you pre-generated characters. Um, a lot of people really love long games, and they love, you know, 
year long campaigns and things like that, you know, and I do too. I played in a 12 year campaign with Stu, who is vintage RPG. And I also think there's a lot of, and then I did like the, a year and a half, uh, Masanara Lethotep or two years, 18 months or whatever campaign <laughs> as well. But I think there's also like something cool about doing one or two shots and getting a full story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we give you pre-generated characters. Uh, you could of course make your own. The pre-generated characters all have special abilities, passive abilities. Um, but each one also has knowledge about the world. And one of the things that we always strive to do is if we're putting it in the book, there's a reason for it. So if you find a weapon, there's going to be a story behind it. Like the, a special, like, you know, you find this gun. Well, this gun was such and such as gun from this time. This is how it ties into the greater story. So you, as a game runner, if your players aren't going to use those characters, it's fine, but you have more lore to be able to share with them. Uh, but the playable characters are kind of cool. I think uh, I've, I've lost, I stopped counting because we kept adding more characters to like the Sunset Limited, which is the last thing we've been doing. But in three years, before I stopped counting, Geo and I had created 183 playable characters, yes. non-playable characters, monsters, and vehicles that act as monsters in Children of Uma. So mm-hmm. like, you know, each one of those has a lore for that world that will give you uh give you something something cool to jump off, a good jumping off point to to play these games. You got any uh, favorite ones for this particular one? Not yet, because we're st- I'm still kind of fleshing out the character, like who the playable character is going to be. Um, Jake Griffin, who is the playable character in the Hotel Exorcist, only the lonely that the free PDF that I was mm-hmm. telling you about that solo play adventure. Uh, he's going to be in it. He's going to pop up as essentially he's going to he is at the Joshua uh, Tree Motel currently and he is sending you off um into pennsylvania to do this while he makes his way across the country to get to you uh but yeah i mean we've we've got some pretty cool npcs fleshed out we know what the big bad is and and how that's going to fit in so now it's just a matter of you know fleshing out the characters backgrounds i i know their names i know what they do and and the kind of uh equipment that they have i just haven't figured out like you know when you go about designing a group like that do you think about it you know uh similar to how you would stock characters in a movie where you're thinking about well you know this guy's gonna probably be handled more like the straight guy and this guy's gonna be more the comedian of the group and this will be kind of the action guy or gal you know so i do that i do that a lot um actually in fact like when i when i have to send our inspiration to artists to be like, Hey, you know, when you're, when you're kind of making up this character, like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Like sometimes I will just go to IMDb and be like, kind of like this person, you mm-hmm. know, to give them the general vibe of the character. But, you know, for me, it always comes back to like the D and D party. Like everybody's got like a thing mm-hmm. that they do. So like, you know, this one person is is specifically the person who's going to be in charge of healing. This person is specifically going to be in charge of this. Now, not to say that you, when you get it, you're going to play it any way you want, but you will always have kind of like the, the resource to be like, okay, this person knows how to heal people. Maybe we want to play that person. <laughs> Everyone has like a specific set of skills that are really intrinsically tied to the adventure and what they're going to do. But also like I, I also try to like, you know, rock and roll is like such an important thing to me as well. Um, so I always try to like kind of find a fun way to nod to the music that I love and, you know, nod to like 
you know, like, I might find a lyric that like will be like, okay, I could I could build a power around that, or like, you know, a, a, a song title that I can do like, <laughs> um, you know, or like a, a real a clever in joke from a movie that I could make, like, you know, with the the sage flares that I came up with. It was like the special abilities you have to cough to get off, and like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you find you find you find a way to like pop yourself try to pop other people and still bring some kind of like nuance and actual applicable thing to to the game you know. what you're inventing nice um kickstarting in october right did you i'm sorry did you say the 15th the 13th friday 15th. oh perfect 13th we're actually going to kickstart it in uh september and then my buddy is like you you're getting married at the end of september do you really want to be running a kickstarter while you are <laughs> doing your wedding and i said you know what bud you are right so uh george's wife was like hey how about friday the 13th in october right. and i was like that actually that's much much more smart much more gooder <laughs> yeah uh friday october 13th kickstarter um zine's gonna be 20 bucks uh we're gonna do a kickstarter exclusive premium hardcover um I've learned long ago that adding tchotchkes and things in just always backfires in my face. This yeah. is not the one who has to pack it. And also we could charge less for shipping if it's just the books. So uh, 20 bucks will get you the hotel exorcist and the PDF of the hotel exorcist as well. So um, you, we always include the PDF when you buy the book. Um, I don't know the price point yet for the premium hardcover, but it'll be an actual Kickstarter exclusive. We're not going to reproduce it after the Kickstarter hardcover uh, edition of the hotel exorcist as well and then uh yeah i mean you know we always add in things where like you could pay x amount of dollars and we will kill you in the game horribly <laughs> like you will die in an absolutely gory just you, you may regret it kind of way uh you know we also have like a, a and everything's affordable uh tiers where like you could be a featured extra in a scene you might have some lines like um we got a buddy, Frankie, who uh, was in it for the last one, and he, ha you know, he he gets to say something pretty cool and have like a an active role in a kind of an important moment. So, you know, there there are great ways to be involved with it. I run games for people who who back the the Kickstarter as well as another tier, and you know, I know this is going to be another cool story that I'm in George is very uh, privileged and fortunate to tell. Like, you know, the two of us like we get to tell these great stories and, and even more than that, like I know that people are playing it and enjoying it with their friends. And to me, that's the, that's the whole point. Yeah. It's an amazing feeling, isn't it? it size wise, uh, this sounds to me like it, it might be a little bit larger in scope than, uh, than the last two double features were individually. Anyhow. Well, we're trying to make them shorter, man. We're just, <laughs> we're just wordy. We have a lot of ideas. You, um, you can't have too much good, right? I mean, if it's good, you know, too much like, isn't enough, you know. We we learned we learned a very hard and valuable lesson with children of Uma, where we realized that it's okay to not put a bunch of extra stuff in a book and to just make a separate zine. Because you know, mm -hmm. with Escape from Point Nemo, we had all these side quests that could have just been their own zine. But the book ended up being like 110 pages long because we put everything in there. You know, independent publishers was like, you know, the first you don't know what the hell you're doing. At first. <laughs> and then like, you know, when it came to Children of Uma, we went way over budget because we decided to do a second adventure 
uh, called Mini Submania and put it out at the same time. And then while we were doing that, Children of Boom blew up. Children of Boom is like 144 pages. It is, yeah. and there's like 37 playable vehicles in there that, well, the, you, you know, they're, they're technically the monsters, but you can ride them and you can play, you can take them over. The whole thing's about stealing other vehicles. So, you know, and then The Devil in New Jersey ended up being like 74 pages. So I think it's safe to say you're going to get at least 60 pages out of us for The Exorcist. I, I would hope maybe not more than that, but, you know, in those 60 pages, you're going to get like great playable characters, great lore, great weapons. Like it, it, it essentially becomes its own source book. Um, but we really, we're really trying to, to, to make books with less pages, <laughs> but apparently, you know, I think the sunset <laughs> limit is going to be like 70 something pages too. So oh, wow. here we are <laughs> in the, uh, the three, two, one action uh, rules are still available for free. Are they not? Yes. So they're available for free. And with, with the rule book, you could always go to drive through RPG and get a PDF of the rule book right now. Drive through RPG. We have a free PDF of the rule book. Um, and I think all of the solo play adventures that we offer are also free, uh, including hard time, including a uh, ham and egg in hell, ham, uh, ham and egg in hell and uh, grounded for life. Um, so it's like three or four solo adventures you can get for free. The rule book you can get free for free rule book will always be free. And uh, we're actually revamping the rule book because we're a little bit better at this than we were three years ago when we put out the rules. So I, I want to say in January, there will be another, uh, an updated rule book, which will also include horror rules, magic rules for casting spells, um, vehicle rules, everything. Oh, wow. If you see us out and about, it'll probably be like a five, $7 book. The PDF <laughs> will always be free. We always want people to have access to the rules. So yeah, an updated rule book is come and it's, it's all the same rules, but they're just written better and simpler because we are better <laughs> at writing now than we were three years ago. <laughs> but it'll have more artwork and stuff in there. It's it's going to be uh, pretty legit, but it will always be free as a PDF on DriveThruRPG. All right. Well, thank you for spending time with us tonight. And, and folks, you know, October, Friday the 13th, uh, you know, get on there, you know, have it notify you on launch. Check it out. The Hotel Exorcist. Uh it's I, I, it's good stuff, guys. I guarantee it'll be good stuff. Everything so far has been good stuff. Um, and it sounds like a hell of a good time, especially for Halloween. You know, you need oh, that yeah. Halloween game. Absolutely. And you can find me across social media at John McGuire RPG. Anywhere where I am, you will always find a link to go to the Kickstarter. Please click the link to get notified of our launch on Friday, April 13th. It is going to be awesome. Uh, you're going to get a great, great adventure out of the Hotel Exorcist. All right. Have a good night, everybody. You have been listening to This Whole Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming!